Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse, episode 393. I am Peter, and joining me, as always, is Matt. Hey, what is happening? Believe it or not, not next week, but I believe the week after, should nothing change, Connor may actually be on the on the show. I, I know it's shocking. It's yep. it's it's a monumental, earth-shattering shift in dynamics. But he may actually be here for an episode in a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll see if he's uh read his comics. Although he has been catching up, actually, I think he's been mentioning he's been catching up. But uh, and I would love for him to come in and just only only with the delay from his his comics membership. I forget what the, the app's called. Ready Z. Infinite. Yeah, with Infinite. And he's just, he's only up to date with Infinite, so that's what he starts to cover. It would be so funny. Well, he still owes a Patreon book of Red Hood uh, during yeah. the, the Batman Catwoman Gotham War. So. Oh, boy. That's out, out, uh, out of date he is right now. But, uh, yeah, this is a DC Comics podcast, everyone. We get together and we talk about like, DC books. It is a week five. Which means, notoriously, it's going to be a weird week with uh, kind of a hodgepodge of annuals and other things. But here's what's coming up on the show today. We have Titans Beast World Issue 6, Batman and Robin 2024 Annual, Batman Superman World's Finest 2024 Annual. We have a new story in the Trinity Special, which we we both ended up reading. We didn't even agree to. We just kind of both did. Uh, So we'll we'll talk about that and uh, whatnot. And we also have Batman Offworld Issue 3. Plus, I got a Patreon book. I'll be talking about American Vampire Second Cycle Issue 4. So that is what's coming up on the show this week. Uh, I mean, honestly, page count-wise, it was kind of a normal week of reading because, you know, enough of the books were 40 pages versus the, mm-hmm. the typical 20 that I don't think it actually made that much difference in terms of my reading time. But uh, still, weird week. We'll, we'll get into it. We'll... we'll into the nitty gritty there's a a little bit of news to talk about and uh of course as we always do we will start with matt's absolute favorite segment of the show which is the comicsology or formerly known as the comicsology top 10 so uh we'll look at tuesday first uh oh how are you matt i should be nice i'm I'm okay I'm, i'm still recovering from my flu i'm pretty sure that's what it was last week uh, we recorded early, and then I got hit immediately with shivers and and sweats, and it was terrible. Um, oh yeah, we did Friday my... last week, didn't we? I was yeah. like, "What do you mean early? We didn't do early last week." Yeah, is it we did. It was Friday. Yeah, and uh, I still tried to go play football, which was a massive mistake. Um, and yeah, so uh, prolonged it, missed a couple days of work, which I never, never do. So, uh, and I've been slowly recovering. Um, but yes, uh, so this the having no books this week, you know, really, really worked to my advantage. <laughs> yes, you got through the map apocalypse and left yes. to tell a tale. Barely. Yeah, no. I, I, you know, I've still been watching movies, but I, I slowed down a little bit this week. I actually played a video game for a few hours yesterday. Ooh. So uh, my, my eight to ten movies a week streak might be finally calming it's... down a little bit. I might only get six or seven this week, so... Oh yeah. no! We'll we'll see we'll see how it is by the end of the week. How how are you would ever you watch the boy two again? Oh okay. Well, there was a, there was a stream at Christmas and there was a goal that if we hit a certain amount, me and Tim would do a commentary for the boy. So I watched the boy. Oh, it was with a Tim. commentary. Okay, yeah. I didn't realize it was for commentary. Yeah. So I still watched it. It still bit... counts. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least you get to bag on it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's fine. So uh, that, that's yeah, done. Yeah. That's dusty. It's out of the way. Uh, and you got to watch it with Tim. To which, do we still know if he actually likes it or this is just a long term goof? If it's a bit, then he is committed to the bit. I'll, okay. I'll, seriously. <laughs> the amount of times the commentary just turned into him going, oh, this bit's so good. Or this, oh, this bit coming up. I'm so excited. Like, there was a lot of that going on. Okay. So. He's committed then because I can't believe believe anybody likes that movie as much as he claims to <laughs> i don't think the director and writer like it as much as tim likes it that's yeah there's probably some truth in that yeah uh, you know if i one of the first things he said was he pointed out one of the other actors in the movie mm-hmm. uh is known for being in hellboy and sure enough he was right he was in hellboy Oh, Timmy. Oh, Timmy. Oh, Timmy. Oh, Timmy. So that might be why he likes it. He may just like it because of someone yeah. from Hellboy. Um, I don't know if it's still up, but we, we covered the the latest Hellboy. I forget who directed that one. But it was David Harbour. Was was, the, yeah, Neil Marshall directed that. The Neil Marshall. And I remember us just going in on how horrible that movie was. Oh, it was terrible, yeah. And we, we get to the end, and even though Tim is like, yeah, it wasn't that good. You know, I tried to enjoy it. That guy still gave it 10 stars. Yeah. And apparently they're making a new Hellboy movie. Like, Tim just yeah. casually mentioned, oh, they're working on a new Hellboy. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're, after the last disaster, they're making another one. But apparently uh, he's hopeful for it. So Is is it still David Harbour, or have they moved on to yet no, another? No, someone else, I think. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, apparently hmm. Mike Mignola's involved in the writing or something. So Tim's, okay. Tim's hopeful. I, like, I don't want to break his huh? heart. But yeah, he, he'll probably like it no matter how shit it is. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I do. I feel like Hellboy is one of those properties that might just be better in the comics because they've tried. I mean, the animated movies that I've seen were were decent, uh, but those were done with Guillermo del Toro, and nothing against those Guillermo del Toro movies. They're not exactly you know mm. five yeah, star I, classics. I read the first story or two of Hellboy, and I thought it was they were pretty good. The comics. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that stuck out to me is just how good the tone was. It felt kind of yeah. dark and broody. And it's just something that none of the movies, because you have to have mm-hmm. some big red dude walking around, it just doesn't yeah. work in live action in quite the yeah. same way. So, You know. But hey, uh, whatever whatever floats Tim's goat, you know. Uh, oh, yes. I'm, I, I, I wish him no that, ill will. He can enjoy yeah. his crappy Hellboy all he wants. That, that said, I did finally watch Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, on, All on Monday. three and a half hours of it. Oh, no, I, and I don't have to ever do that again. So we're good. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, I thought Lily Gladstone was really good. I thought, um, you know, I thought Leo was was fine. I don't understand the people that have claimed this is the greatest movie. Of course, Daisy's. There's lots of good in it, right? And yeah. obviously, there's good performances. There's good direction. But I think mm. there had to be a choice, right? There had mm-hmm. to be a choice for either. Because some of it still felt rushed to me, bizarrely, because there were yeah. so many characters and details that they just kind of like flew through because they had to get through the whole story. Mm-hmm. I think you have to make a choice. You either simplify it, get it down to a movie, right? Because it's three and a half hours, so cut an hour out of it, right? Simplify yeah. the story so that it, it works in two or two and a half hours. I'll even give you two and a half. I'm nice like that. Yeah. But you either do that, or if you're so determined to be authentic and try and tell it you know, as, as close to historically accurate as you can then that's the point where you should have been like, well, let's do a 10-part series instead, because 
10 one hour chunks might have served it better than the three and a half hour experience that they gave us. Yeah, because I feel like even we don't even get the Osage people's like we get them a little bit, but this was something that really impacted their community and we don't get to spend tons of time with them, you know, and I feel like if they had expanded it a little bit, we could have and a lot of those stuff would have really hit home more. And from what I understand with the book, it's a lot of the stuff is from the Osage people's point of view. Mm. Right. So, so Scorsese took it and does what Scorsese does, or look how terrible these white men are. And look, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, think about it. That's his Wall stack, Street. You know, he's, yeah. He's, he's good, good at fellas. doing that. And, and I get it. And he does that very, very, very well. Um, De Niro is very hateable through it. Like, uh, and it is a different side of De Niro um, because he's kind of this quiet guy in it that's doing very terrible things. Um, but, but yeah, I just, I got through it. I, I watched it. I can knock it off the list, but I, I won't say that I enjoyed it. You know, it's a very mm. good movie that I did not enjoy. Now, comparatively, because they're up for a lot of the same awards, something like Oppenheimer, which I was kind of not resistant to, but I was like, man, there's no way it's as good as everybody's saying, right? And I watched that. That movie has stuck with me. There's, there's not a day since I've watched it that I haven't thought about something from that movie. Which is weird considering that it's it's Nolan and the bag on Nolan is, oh, he doesn't, you know, he's a very good director, but he's very cold. But there are very big emotional beats in that movie that I think about often. Um, and yeah, that I didn't didn't realize it would take Killers of Flower Moon for me to, to realize that. So, you know, uh, props, props to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like Oppenheimer a lot. Yeah. Uh, you should check out. Past lives, watch past lives, man. That's that past lives on the list. The holdovers is on the list, and um, and poor things. So those oh, are yes. those are the ones. I, um, I recommend all three of those. Yes. Yes. So those those are there. Those are on the you know the, the Academy Award list movies. Um, holdovers is already on there. We just you know, I, I could watch Killers of Flower Moon or Holdovers. I feel like I made the wrong decision. Um. Oh well, so, I mean, you could put it this way: you got the the long one out of the way, so now true. you can you can look forward to the other one. Yes, <laughs> true. Um, but yeah, so that that's where I'm at. So I got that movie watch, and then it's just been you know, you know, trying trying to get back into reading comics, which is super tough right now because DC has to keep releasing. And this is a nice quiet week, but they they're they're putting out too much stuff that I want to read. I know it's a unique problem. But... Actually, I mean, that's neat. I guess it's back out of the topic of DC, mm-hmm. but uh, I was looking ahead. Yep. I don't think the next three months, give or take, is that busy. It's actually quite quiet. There's not a lot of new issue ones uh, for a little, because a few things are ending, but there's not a lot yeah. of issue ones launching the next three months. Good. I suspect when we hit May and the summer events kick in, and that'll be where you get mm-hmm. a lot of those those numbers are made Pop-ups. back up. But uh, there is... I, I, it does seem like a quiet few months ahead, uh, just on average. So, well, that's good because I have a stack of other things that aren't DC that I need to get to because I feel like a fraud at this point. When <laughs> when people when people ask me what's good to read, and I get to like, uh, which I did get to recommend Ram V Swamp Thing to a friend, and he ordered all three trades because he wanted to read it now. Good. Um. Yeah. So like that was that was a nice thing, but like, you know, it's. <laughs> Do you guys like superhero books? Because I'm reading a lot of those. I uh, mean, you're on a DC show. You should be well-read in the DC stuff. 100% I am, but not everybody's looking for weekly, you know? Like, I can mm. recommend... 
I can recommend the action comics, uh, the Philip Kennedy Johnson run, you know, and stuff. But I don't know if that's going to be everybody's bag. So or or, you know, definitely I've been recommending Human Target, you know, because that's definitely more on the, you know, less there's superheroes in it, but it's not a superhero book. It's very much a, a tale of uh, mortality uh, and all of that. So, but yeah, um, I need to, I feel like I'm at that point where I'm getting itchy to read other things that aren't superheroes, which is very weird to me because I've always waved that flag. You just need a palate cleanser. I got it. Yeah. yeah something yeah, yeah. a little bit different. Um, so, so I haven't read yeah. anything else yet, but I've still got that itch to read the Turtles comics. So I might start yeah. that uh, soon. Nice. That'll be my project for a bit. And then, if I do get through that, then I'll start looking at some other stuff. Like something is nice. killing the children's been on the to do list for that's, ages. Yeah, I see. I started that. Um, that's also sitting there. It's that these Savage Shores, getting caught up on uh, the other Titan book. Um, why am I drawing like Department of Truth? Um, you know, I'm halfway through that second trade still. It's been a minute, so yeah, I think you're right. A palate cleanse needs. I need to work that in. You know, so. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into the Comixology Top 10, mm-hmm. shall we? Uh, we'll look at Tuesday first, because that's how they split up. Uh, Matt, what do you think the number one book was from DC this week, as of right now, on the Kindle Amazon rankings? I'm going with Beast World 6. It is Beast World 6. It was easy. Yes. I mean, it was Smart. it was an easy week to guess it, to be honest. Uh, number two is World's Finest. Number <laughs> Sorry, my, my cat just came in wanting to weigh in, and I told her, you don't know anything about comics. You can't read. <laughs> That's what you think. Yeah, true. She's probably in my books right now. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, number two is World's Finest. Number three is the Trinity Special. Uh, number four is Batman and Robin uh, Annual. Number five is Batman Off-World. Uh, number six is Alan Scott Green Lantern. It's a shame that I wasn't into that, because that would have been a nice book yeah. on this week five. Uh, number seven is DC Power 2024. That's the big one shot with all the different short mm-hmm. stories. Uh, number eight is Power Girl Uncovered. And if we're getting an Uncovered in the top ten, it tells you there's not a lot of books left. Yeah. <laughs> because sure enough, right after that, we're into uh, collections. We've got Batman Urban Legends Volume uh, 2, I think that is. Uh, I've even be higher than that. Oh, let me click on it. I'll find out. I can't tell the number. Oh, it's Volume 6. Wait. Oh, I'm thinking of Brave and the Bold. That's why I'm thinking yeah. it's only in Volume 2. Oh, yeah, Urban Legends yeah, is, is over. <laughs> yeah, yep. fair enough, fair enough, yeah. Uh, and then 10 is actually a Weird Science uh, Archives book from EC Comics. So, okay. yeah. So, again, not a lot of books out on Tuesday because DC tend to have fifth weeks where they, you know, they have a mm-hmm. fewer amount out. Whereas Marvel and some of the other companies don't really do that. They'll kind of just spread their books out throughout the month, which is why Wednesday is actually still pretty healthy looking. So you got a guess for Wednesday's number one? So there's there's a new one that's that's glaring out. Um, and so I'm just going to take a shot and say it's Dead X-Men. It is Dead one. X-Men, number yeah. one. Very good. Uh, number two is Avengers Twilight, which is Chip Zarsky on that. And Alex Ross, I mean, he may just put in the cover though, because uh, sometimes Amazon don't list the the pencil or second annoyingly. Yeah, 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 he's just a cover. Yeah, it's Daniel Acuna on the art on that. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, number three is Wolverine forty two. Uh, number four is Duke issue two. That's the Joshua Williamson book. So mm-hmm. very good. Non Marvel. Uh, number five is Avengers Inc. 
Number six is Incredible Hulk. Number seven is Power Rangers Unlimited. Number eight is Marvel's Voices Legends. Number nine is World Tree, issue seven. That's another Tynan book. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, another non-Marvel. And then number ten is Moon Man, issue one, uh, by Kyle Higgins. Uh, so, mm. another non-Marvel. So, as much as I said that Marvel still have a lot of books out, uh, maybe the fact that there's like four non-Marvel books in the top ten does indicate that it was a bit later. <laughs> compared to a normal week, but I don't know. Maybe maybe these other books are just doing well. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what World Tree was, because I know it's tiny, but I've heard zero buzz around it. Yeah. So. Uh, it's got numbers in the, like the zero. Yeah. Well, the, the O and the E's are a zero and threes, just in case that's affecting your search results. Yeah. So I just, just trying to figure out what that was, just based off of number seven. But it uh, seems like it's kind of like a spy kind of book, which is kind of different for Tynan. That's what that is. So, um, but yeah, not not a not a lot on here that's piquing my interest. I'll tell you that. Like, it just it's kind of funny that I I figured out a hack to figuring out what sells over at Marvel, mm. and so whatever the new X book is, you know. But so all these other you know non Marvel stuff popping up in there. I, th- I think that's pretty healthy for the rest of the industry. Yeah, that Power Rangers book's a... I don't know if it's a miniseries or, or what, but it's like a, it's spinning out of issue 116 of Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. I was just curious. And... Is that the $8 one? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah. It seems like it's a one-shot kind of deal. Yeah, just the one-shot. Um, so, no, cool. Uh, yeah, not, not an exciting top 10 this week, because it's mm-hmm. a week five, so... Uh, I guess we'll we'll leave it there and we'll move on to the bit of news we got this week. Uh, movie news, that is, specifically. Uh, and that is we got big casting for for the DC Universe. We got Supergirl has been cast mm-hmm. as Matt's cat is scratching something. Yep, yep. I can... So, she just, she's just being herself. Yeah, I know that sound. Scratch, scratch scratching on the carpet. So, Millie Alcock, is that how you say her name? I believe so. Uh, I'm not familiar with her at all, so... Could be Alcock, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but either way, she, she's an actress who was on uh, the Game of Thrones spinoff, House of the Dragon, mm-hmm. which I never saw because I don't like Game of Thrones, uh, but she was in the shortlist because it was narrowed down to two. I remember there have been stories last week about it being between mm-hmm. her and someone else. She is officially Supergirl, and the... Uh, Women of Tomorrow movie that's been developed, mm-hmm. which, you know, maybe some of these movies will actually exist on like the last big batch that were announced. Maybe the fact that they're casting yeah. some of these things uh, makes sense. It's kind of interesting, though, that we're very much like, obviously there's been a lot of casting news for the Superman movie that, that Gunn's doing, mm-hmm. and now we're getting casting for Supergirl, Women of Tomorrow. It is kind of interesting that these two movies, the two super movies, will be the two of the first out in this new universe. I do think that's by design, though, right? Like, they want to reset from where they were, you know, and how do we do that is we give Superman a proper, you know, a proper section of the universe before we do other things. That said, isn't the Justice League International apparently in the gun movie? Yeah, they're in it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, but yeah. Um, I like it as a change of pace from where we were, you know, because don't, I mean, Aquaman did just come out, Aquaman 2, with with a, what's the opposite of a bang? 
Like a, a wet fart. Uh, yeah. You know, so it seems like it's it's dead. So they're they're definitely moving in a different direction. Yeah, it, I think it's just a. I think it's a coincidental thing, almost, just in the sense that Superman is one of the A-listers, and you want to start with an A-lister, but he's also the one that's been gone the longest in the sense of, yeah, I know he was in Justice League, but that was a while ago now. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like it's a case of staying away. You don't want to do this universe as Batman because we just had a good Batman movie. Mm-hmm. You know, but Even though that wasn't connected to the last universe or this universe, Batman's pretty fresh in everyone's heads. You don't want to do start with Aquaman. You wouldn't. I mean, you probably wouldn't want to start with Aquaman in any circumstance. But certainly or Shazam, not. Yeah, right? but certainly not after we've just had those mediocre sequels that did nothing at the box office. Yep. So did not move the needle. Uh, yeah, it, it makes some sense. I just think it's interesting as a pair. Like it's starting with Superman makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. to me. But the fact that Super Supergirl, Women of Tomorrow seems like it'll be next in line is is interesting. Yeah. Uh, just from it, a, it, yeah. And you know how you know pop culture and society itself kind of moves in these circles and cycles. It almost feels like they're following the the track record from you know pre the comic book movie boom, right? Because the before there's any Batman movies and stuff, there was four, right? There at least three or four of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. There was the Helen Slater Supergirl. Yeah, it was all, no, it was all four because the last Superman was nineteen eighty-seven, and then Batman okay. was eighty-nine. So yeah, well, unless, so there you go. unless we're counting the sixties Batman, of course. Yeah, I mean, but that was, you know, that was kind of its own thing, right? Mm. Uh, you know, the Batman sixty-six stuff. So it just, I, it's not lost on me that these are the first two out. Also, you know. Uh, almost like again, we're following that timeline. It would be funny if the third one is the uh, the universe's version of Batman, just mm-hmm. to keep that that going. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know where. Well, I, I suppose technically there is a slot for Green Lantern because there was a terrible mm-hmm. Green Lantern movie that came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was eventually a Flash movie, so I guess there's a slot for that. We'll have to wait a while yeah. for that though. And I don't blame them for staying away from Flash for a long time. Yeah. But it hurts because I love the Flash as a character. And that was one of the most depressing things about that movie even getting made, is that I knew, oh, this is going to blacklist the concept for a while. We're not going to get this character again yeah. in a movie for a while. And so that was really people that don't understand what makes the character work, right? It's like, yes. The Flash is big with the multiverse, but we need to care about the Flash yes. before we start dropping him into the multiverse. And they never, they just rushed it all. I was like, oh, he can go to different universes? All right, we're, we're going to squeeze as much IP as we can. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I could sound like a broken record about this, but you yeah. g- give me a movie where he's doing reverse Flash. Give me a movie with the Rose. Give me a movie with Grodd. That's a trilogy right there before we even start messing with yep. Flashpoint bullshit. Yep. So, anywho... Uh, Yes. Uh, I, I, this all came from they've cast someone as Supergirl. I can't really comment on her herself because I've never seen her in anything. So. No, but so I, I am reading an article and it talks about how James Gunn loved her on House of the Dragon. And so uh, it made her, she kind of had this swagger that he was looking for for this version of Supergirl, which if it is adapting uh, the Tom King story closely, she's going to need that swagger because, you know, we we get introduced to her in that story as she's kind of hung over from going out uh, on a night drinking across the galaxy. So, you yeah. Know. Um, and they just, I mean, I think it was solicited already, but I noticed that the, the cover for the deluxe hardcover was posted mm-hmm. on Twitter this week. So yep. clearly they're, they're bringing it back in print in a big deluxe format because they know that it's going to mm-hmm. probably do well with the movie coming out and 
I, I imagine I mean, they'll keep that in print all throughout the build up to the movie yeah. and then at least for a while after it's out. And as a Supergirl story, that is one to keep. It's a good one to keep in perpetual print, right? Because it kind of hits all the beats of what makes her work and how she's different from Superman. So them just having that constantly in the spotlight, I think is good for comics too. Yeah, it's not my favorite, but it's definitely up there. And it's it's one Mm -hmm. that I I think, you know, a lot of these characters, because like Batman and Superman have so many like individual books you can just hand to people and Mm -hmm. say, read this. You don't need anything else. Just start to finish. This will be the whole story you need. Um, A lot of other characters don't really have that. And I think that it would be good for characters like Supergirl. And I'm even thinking like Flash and Green Lantern. There's not mm-hmm. many standalone stories. Like, you can recommend Green Lantern Rebirth as much as it's one of the most important things. Mm-hmm. It's the start of a whole run. It doesn't really work that well on its own. No. And it recaps where Hal had been too. So yeah. it's, very, it's very reliant on what had happened before. It's not really a fresh start. Um, you know, it, it, is a, it is a rebirth, if you will, yeah. right? Like... So, and Supergirl has being super, which I love, and mm-hmm. that should always be in print as well. Although, of course, it's yep. very different because it's sort of doing more of a Clark esque origin mm-hmm. for her. So, you know. It... But, yeah, that's, I mean, if they weren't adapting Woman of Tomorrow, I think being super would have been the next logical, you know. But mm-hmm. it is a kind of, it, it is a teen kind of story coming of age through superheroes that we get a lot. So, I appreciate Gunn trying something different. Oh, uh, sure, I'm not saying right? I... Like, yeah. at, at this point, I need them to do some different things with these movies mm-hmm. anyway, because superhero yeah. movies as a concept is so stale now that, yeah, you know, he's going to have to wow me and make me care about what's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. He gets a little bit of an easy job for us personally, just because we care more about DC, but yeah. that's only going to go so far. In fact, the fact that I've not seen the last four DC movies kind of yeah. shows that pretty easily, so... Uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh cool um i suppose the other big casting for this movie would probably be the other character right the the, the girl yeah, that she's the girl mm-hmm. she's like helping uh it's really the only other main character of the whole thing yeah what was her name i'm forgetting i was even, yeah. i was even pretending that i could remember yeah no i thought i could pull it up but i, I can't i thought i could if i just type in woman tomorrow it would come to me and it didn't but yeah her um because she's really the only other main character. Everybody else, it's kind of very episodic with, with who we're, you know. And the guy that she's chasing, right? The, oh, yeah, the villain, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, be interested to see how they handle all that. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I don't imagine it'll be quite as episodic in the movie. Yeah. But, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see. Anyway, uh, let's get into the books then. We'll start off mm-hmm. with Titans Beast World, issue six. Tom Taylor writing with Ivan Reese. Lucas Meyer and Eduardo Pansica on the R. And this is an oversized issue. This was a sort of 40-ish page finale. Mm-hmm. So six issues, but this is double size. So it's kind of more like seven issues, really, mm-hmm. when you stop and think about it. Which is times. kind of spot on for, you know, I love that when DC puts their special things like this at seven issues, mm. you know, so it just feels right. Uh, even though this is only six, but... Um, seven in spirit. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as a whole, before we talk about this, how do you feel about Beast World as an event? Uh, pretty good, I'd say. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I, I think Taylor does a good job of making me root for the characters and what they're trying to achieve, of giving me the heartwarming moments. Uh, there's definitely a couple of things that I have questions on. 
for mm-hmm. sure. But overall, I feel like, and I think it not only does it sort of give the Titans this big story where they get to be the stars, where they get to be mm-hmm. the ones who are solving the big problem, and Superman and the other big A-listers are answering to them and following their instructions, mm-hmm. which is nice. And the other big thing it does is that it really does make it feel like it it moves Amanda Waller's story forward finally for the first time in decades. A maybe. long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Since since maybe Checkmate, where she kind of really came to prominence as the, you know, the chess master type character. Uh to to now to where this leaves her at, she's, you know, I can't not help think of uh, of Thunderbolt Ross or J. Jonah Jameson, you know, mm. or the other company. It was just constantly this person speaking out against the superheroes. Um, but yeah, I, I just uh, echo what you just said too. It's uh, I really appreciate that it it really pushed the Titans to the forefront of DC, right? Because right now there's no Justice League, and it really made the Titans feel like this A level group, right? That they are more than the sum of their parts because they kind of have that they have that kind of family vibe to them, um, and the reason they're able to come together, Taylor. Taylor pulls on those heartstrings, you know, and makes everything work. So, um, you know, this is all stuff that we already, we already knew, right? We, we appreciate the Titans and Nightwing and all those characters, but to put them at, you know, put the spotlight on them for other people that might not know, I think it, it did its job of, of spreading that awareness around. I mean, it's a group of characters that DC for a long time had bungled. Uh, Deadly, mm-hmm. of course, being the one we always blame for that. It may not be the sole blame, but right. certainly he was the one that we pinned it all on. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I do have some questions about, there's a sort of twist at the end mm-hmm. uh, that leaves me with like a couple of questions that maybe, you know, I imagine T- Taylor will get into it and mm-hmm. Titans going forward because obviously it's setting up story for that book. Uh, so, you know, obviously the cliffhanger last issue was that Dr. Hate was actually the demonic side of Raven who had escaped the stone. Mm-hmm. It mentions here that she escaped the stone when they when they were in hell for that story protecting the girl in Nightwing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that was... Okay, all right. You, you actually kind of seeded that a while back. Yeah. That's, that's kind of nice. Um, but yeah, like a lot of this issue is kind of simple in the way that it's like, okay, we're going to lure out all the parasites from all the different animal people uh, and then kill the parasites which is which is great until there's a realization until mm-hmm. raven realizes that oh the the monster people aren't attacking her and that must be because in some level gar is still kind of in there and mm-hmm. that's been seeded as well throughout the titans run which is this idea that when gar splits up into all these different creatures that there's a little bit of him in all of them yep. so they're like wait a minute if gar's still in there and we can possibly somehow put them back together, then we can't just be killing the parasites. And at this point, they've already killed a bunch of them. Like, you know, like yeah. as soon as she says that, you see Starfire holding a dead one in her hand, and she's like, oh, no. Yeah. Well, then I immediately thought of John sizzling them all, right, with the electrical mm. powers, you know, and the stuff they were doing to save their friends. Yeah, he was know. he was killing, like, you know, dozens of them at a time. Yeah. yeah. If, if Gar has brain damage after this, it might be because of John. You know, <laughs> well that was so. that was one of the things that uh, they kind of do later on in the issue is that yeah. when they, they get all the parasites together again and they form into Beast Boy, he's kind of like a zombie because mm-hmm. it's not enough of them. Like they've made the shape of them, but there's not enough of them left until the sort of the final part of it is brought in. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, 
which I, I guess if you want to talk about that, the idea that because he was mm -hmm. a starfish technically, and mm -hmm. starfish can regenerate from a single mm -hmm. limb, uh, they're able to use that for him to completely regenerate into Beast Boy. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel about that little? Well, you know, being being a, a biology nerd really paid off because I believe in, in issue one when we saw that piece go off with the Necro Star, I was like, I would not be surprised, and yet here we are. Mm. Uh, that's exactly what he did, and that's just good storytelling, right? Like, there's no reason for you know the average person to know this going in, but the fact that you know. We saw that that piece went off of the Necrostar, got boom-tubed into a distant galaxy and frozen, you know, for for Taylor to bring that back around and for him to have the characters explain that too. You know, that's just solid storytelling. Uh, but I definitely pat myself on the back way too much this week with that. So. Yeah, I think there's a line about it also rebuilding neurons, which I think, yeah. was, I think was the attempt at explaining, because even with the regeneration part of it mm -hmm. physically... There was still the question of yeah, but like four or five, four of the five limbs of right. of Garo still are dead. are dead, and if yeah. Beast Boy was split up into all these different things, then you know that would be. But I suppose the argument is is that because that wasn't different things, because yeah. Garo was just one giant thing, yeah. arguably the rules of the starfish apply to it, where as long as one part of it's left, he mm -hmm. can completely come back from it. But anyway, yeah, we get our big, you know. Beast Boy's back. You know, Gar's back yeah. at the end of the issue. He's fine. We get a heartwarming embrace, only to get the rug pulled out from under us that when Raven was fighting her demonic form throughout the issue and tries to put her back into the gem, mm -hmm. uh, the evil side pulled a switcheroo and put the good Raven inside the Soul Stone. And now she's the one in charge, masquerading as Raven. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of bleak stuff that Taylor does. But nothing like that, you know, for lack of a better term, a post-credit with our Raven talking through the talking through the stone, saying, I'm here, I'm in here. And it just felt so hopeless. And I was like, damn you, Taylor, are you puppeteering my emotions? You know, um, and also the art on that page, the darkness. When you turn the page on, on the demon version of her with the, the multiple eyes and stuff, everything's in heavy shadow. It just it really plays that. So, uh, yeah, I have zero doubt that the Titans will save their friend. You know, so they fight Trigon, and, you know, that, that's normal. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the question I have here is that this means that it's actually Evil Raven who mm -hmm. tells them how to rebuild Beast Boy. So the question then is, mm -hmm. why did she do that if that's not the good Raven? Is that telling us that even Demonic Raven has some kind of attachment to Beast Boy mm -hmm. and that she kind of... Maybe it's less of a genuine love from her, more of like a sick obsession because she's the evil side. I don't know, but yeah. But this is the bad Raven who's done that. This is the bad Raven who like instructs them how to pull all this off. So yeah. that does raise some questions about her intentions with that. You know, so she also gets the helm taken away from the Lords of Chaos, so she's no longer Doctor Hate, which that was a whole sequence that I love. I love that it, it takes the the team, right? So Corey. Corey is able to essentially blast the the helm off of her, and then Wally runs it to a, a lava field in a volcano. Yeah, notably like, the the helmet tries to seduce Wally uh -huh. uh, into the dark side, as it were. But he's like, "I'm too quick. You're already melting in the lava before I can even think about changing yep. sides." And then just says, I, "Bye, Chaos Lords," and runs off. It, well, and there's that, and he also makes a Lord of the Ring joke where he's like, "I know how to deal with evil mystical 
artifacts. Into the lava you go. Um, so I didn't even get funny. that that was a Lord of the Rings joke. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how they have to destroy the One Ring, Pete. Even even a, a, a self-professed Lord of the Rings, I'm not a hater. I just don't like it. Even I know that one. Um, so I, I I like all of that. And so I always I fell maybe... asleep by the time they threw Ethan into a volcano. Brother, you, you and me both. I just know from <laughs> pop culture. Those, those movies are hooey. Anyway, um, I, you know, I can rationalize that too is the the chaos yes she's she's a demon right but she's still a piece of raven um so yeah there are a piece of her that want beast boy back now so, is she, it, so you're saying she still cares like the demon raven still cares yeah, about Beast Boy. okay there's still a piece of her there and without the lords of chaos telling her to go do you know seed chaos she is putting beast boy together almost as if you know for her more than anything um and i don't know maybe maybe she needs the titans to enact whatever the next part of her plan is, you know? So she needs them to believe it's all one of the, you know, it's kind of like an undercover type I mean, thing. I could see it being that she doesn't really even care about him. She's just going to mm-hmm. use him to get Trigon out or something like <laughs> That could be, yeah. that could be too. But I just, I still go back to the point that when, when it was revealed that she's Dr. Hate, the reason that Dr. Hate was able to, to flip uh, Gar so quickly was that it was Raven talking to him. Like, again, that's not – Taylor never said that. That's just how, you know, it makes sense going back and thinking about, you know, when he when he becomes Garo from from mm. uh, Gar. So, you know, I just – I feel like there is there is a part of Rey, you know, evil or not, that, that does care. So it, she's able to, to get this and get him back. But, again, is it for another reason? Is it, you know, for Trigon to – you know, be released. Is it because she's going to use the Titans or whatever, you know, means is coming. We'll find out in Titans, I guess. Yeah, no, all very interesting. So our key scenes, uh, Nightwing goes to the president who they do that thing where they never really show the president is because they yeah. don't want to be specific. Uh, but he's about to unmask to try and like gain some trust from the president. And the president is like, no, 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 no. Like, uh, <laughs> I know what happens who, to people who know your identity. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he buys some trust because they help sort of the mm-hmm. animal his wife. The first yep. lady was you know turned into whatever, and this like gets a little bit of trust. He's basically just can you tell all the other world leaders not to try and kill us when we go in to try and save everyone? Mm-hmm. Uh, and sure enough, that seems to be the case. But of course, by the end of the book, Waller has taken the Hall of Justice, which has yeah. been dormant ever since the, the Justice League shut down. Because uh, the Titans haven't been using it. Mm-hmm. And she's turned it into the Hall of Order. It makes a whole big speech about how they're taking something that was never earned back by the people. And she's still, you know, spouting her propaganda. She's still mm-hmm. doing her hate speech about superheroes. You know, she's like, they're not heroes. They're an alien, a robot, a freak. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I can't remember the, the giant list. But, you know, it's her spouting this idea of the other and trying to further her whole thing. And I, I think that's been one of the the key things in this story that make it feel like an event to me because it's really advancing like her mm-hmm. push on the world uh so i thought that was a really cool thing to set up for the future stories uh yeah and calling it the hall of order too raises some flags for me because like we know she got the, the the nightmare stone in the the helm of chaos right but like what if she you remember when naboo goes crazy with with uh dr fate you know uh, and he's just all about order and it's only instilling order. Um, and there's no room for balance. 
I'm almost wondering if that's what's going on with Waller. Is not necessarily saying it's the Lords of Order, but whatever happened to her, you know, on Earth 3 that led to her coming back, it has something to do with there can only be order. You know, I don't know if something's manipulating her or if she saw something and, and went for that. But them calling it the Hall of Order here, I, I it's I think there's something more to that name than just, you know, the whole law and order aspect of Amanda Waller. Um, like you may be right. I don't necessarily think so, though. I, I, I think this is just about how, like, you know, he, he was always talking about justice. They always talk about truth mm-hmm. and all these other good mm-hmm. concepts. I yeah. think order is the one that sounds good, but it tends to be used by people who are trying to control everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a representation of who Waller is. So I don't think there's any sort of it could like, be too. I don't think there's like any secret plot reason for it. But I mean, mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I don't know. No, but you you do make sense because if they're about truth and justice, those are those are a lot more positive than order. Order, you know, you, you know, you can have evil order. You know, I mean, the the Empire in Star Wars was all about order and control. You know, and those they were the bad guys. So, um, yeah, I mean that fits it fits with her too. I just, you know, her her overtaking that, calling it that, and whatever. It just it brought up my comic book nerd flags. You know. Yeah. Um. At one point, Donna gets this fancy like crypto kryptonite slash something else suit. Yeah, uh, some type of specialized metal. Yeah, so she can take yeah. on Kryptonians and Tamaranians. I think the key thing here for me, though, I mean, obviously you get all the cool shots of her in this fancy yeah. uh, battle suit, but for me, the big thing here is that Nightwing whips out a folder with saying, "Hey, this is how you can take me down," and hands it to Donna. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, it's like he's basically doing the Tower of Babel thing. He's doing the. Uh-huh. That everyone's got a weakness, and we're making sure that if anyone gets infected by these spores, because they could become infected and then they're the biggest yep. threat possible, mm-hmm. then everyone needs a way to be taken down. But I think what's interesting from so it's very much he's been taught by Batman. This is very much his education mm-hmm. coming into play here. But what I kind of like about him doing it differently is that instead of just him having all the folders, he's given them all to different people. So it's this idea that Donna's got the way to take down Dick. Someone else has the way to take down Donna. Someone else and, has the way to take down Starfire. So on and so Raven, forth. And Raven and Cyborg, yeah. Beast Boy. Yeah, yeah. Which I like because instead of being the Tower of Babel, the Batman files that Ra's al Ghul, you know, the Batman keeps secret and Ra's al Ghul weaponizes. It's Dick is spreading it around and saying, hey, I trust you to use this if it needs to and never use it if it doesn't. You know, which again, that's, that's what Nightwing's learned from Batman. D- d- dare I say, it's more of a round robin. Yeah. Hey, you know, hold your applause, everyone. Don't don't call me a hero, right? There's too I, much. Oh, definitely That's too much. I would, sir. I would never. At best, you're an anti-hero. <laughs> uh, oh so. dear, yeah. But no, yeah, and, and just her in that battle suit, it is cool. I like when any any familiar character gets an updated type of thing in an event like this, and I don't ever expect to see this type of suit again. But it it was cool to see her, you know, in this the specialized, you know, it's not quite a mech, but this kind of suit of armor. Yeah, I don't expect to see it again, but if we do, it'll be in Taylor's Titans run, because he's the yeah. one who introduced it. Yeah. And he'll have plans um, for it in some way. Yeah, I, I think the art is, is pretty good throughout. For a book with three mm-hmm. artists, it's shockingly consistent. I'm not saying you can't tell when it changes yeah. necessarily, but they're all within a reasonable range of each other that you're never feeling whiplash from art style changes, I don't think. 
You know, and especially the Ivan Reese and, and Lucas Meyer art. They're very complimentary. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I so, think Meyer's my favorite of the three. That's mm-hmm. someone who we just kind of discovered through this this yep. series because his couple issues really stuck out. Yep. But you know, it's obviously it's a bigger issue. They had all they had all three artists kind of like team up to make sure they get all the pages done. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's a single page that I don't like art wise, and I think that's you know that's nice yeah. to see. And, and especially when, like you said, when the art is split amongst so many, you know, three people, it has the you know for with not that there's no rhyme and reason, but there's no storyline reason for it it can get really chaotic and but the fact that these three artists because who's the the third one is uh, Pensica. Uh, although i you know is Pensica just the epilogue with the uh, raven i believe i believe so unless yeah. that's unless that's lucas meyer because that looks very much when when beast boy comes to it looks very much like the lucas meyer stuff that we did enjoy so well, that, that, and, that, that's that's not the epilogue yet the epilogue's the uh, oh the epilogue's the raven stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah, I got you. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Because looking at that with all the dark shadows, it is very different. Yeah, it looks different. So if from this the rest is just if this is just recent uh, Meyer, it's still fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's just balanced. Yeah, there's so. good moments throughout. You know, you got John catching a rocket at one point. Uh, Sergeant mm-hmm. Steel yelling at him. Uh, all the various pieces with um, the like peacemaker at the start. Uh, the all the stuff with the spores. Uh, I, what, I, this is not an art thing, but one of my favorite lines in the book is uh it's actually Detective Chimp who's like got the plan to get all the spores, and he's like given mm-hmm. the the orders to like all these like A list superheroes. There's a whole mm-hmm. lineup of them across the top of the page, and he's given the orders, and there's just a little narration box saying it was the most power ever wielded by one chimpanzee, <laughs> and I thought that was a very funny line. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, more more Detective Chimp. Uh, I, I love it. You know, I miss I miss that Justice League Dark book where where he was you know running around with that sword, you know uh, the what was it for from the Night Guard whatever that guy's name was, who ran the Oblivion Bar, um, you know a lot, lot more Detective Chimp there it was a lot of fun. So maybe maybe Taylor will start working him in now, into some Titan stuff. Uh, maybe yeah. Uh, so no, I, I'm I'm pretty happy overall uh, with mm-hmm. this event. It's definitely one of the events that I've enjoyed the most. Uh, in a long time because I, mm-hmm. I feel like all the ones we had in the last few years whether it was Williamson's like Infinite Frontier stuff or or whatever that Justice League not Justice Incarnate is that what that was yeah. called? It, uh, it was all part of one thing it was it was Williams yeah. Williamson telling well, yeah, the story but, over but not just so. that though. I'm even thinking of like the last like metal you know mm-hmm. heavy metal or dark metal uh, yeah. like some of that stuff like there was good stuff in it like I, there was all the stuff that I enjoyed in the books but I think I always felt that sort of event kind of like, ah, this ended mm-hmm. like an event kind of did. It, I think where Taylor succeeds where Williamson and some of these other ones didn't is there really is an emotional core of, of saving Carr through this. Yeah, I give a but, shit about the characters because mm-hmm. of the story specifically, and I think that's something you know, that some of the and, other events just never quite capture. Yeah, I know, because we were shocked when, when uh, Waller sends in Chunk and, and sacrifices Chunk to kill Gar, you know, uh, and then it, it kind of felt hopeless. And, you know, us knowing that comics are, it'll probably end up well for them. Um, it, it still didn't take away from any of it. And that's because Taylor had us caring for these characters. Uh, and then especially when they turn into to Beast too, it's like, you know, there, there is a cure. It's not, there's not some zombie virus, you know, or 
techno organic thing that's turning people into robots. Um, you know, there, there was a way out. We saw it throughout, you know, you draw up the, the spore by being the more powerful thing. Yeah. There was a, then, there was a simple, understandable rule. It wasn't just yeah. random. It was like, no, no, if, if, if Batman's infected with a spore, but then Superman mm-hmm. shows up in front of him, the spore yeah. will try and jump because he's got a more powerful body. Right. Simple stuff. So, so I think there's a lot of stuff there that it, because that's kind of a simple overarching story, it allows for those character moments to really sink in. So, you know, and, and this is what Taylor's done in, in Deceased and uh, Dark Knights of Steel and, and all these other, you know, non, non-continuity stories. So it's good to see him bring it over here and kind of leave, not that the DC Universe is in a better place after this, but it's definitely, you know, um, in a world without the Justice League, the DC Universe feels okay. It feels more defined. Yeah. feels defined. So I'm curious to see, like, you know, I know we've got, they've got a summer event that they're teasing they've not revealed yet. I wonder if Waller's whole shtick will play into that. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. not. We'll find out. But uh, definitely curious. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the Doctor Hate stuff leading into it was definitely the stuff that I was the most skeptical of. And it was probably still the weakest part of it overall because, mm-hmm. you know, whenever Doctor Hate showed up before the unmasking, it was kind of like, oh, they feel kind of ancillary to everything else that's going on. And mm-hmm. um, obviously the reveal that it's Dark Raven uh, was a bit more interesting. I think that stuff, though, I kind of like more what it's set up for going forward in Titans than I did itself in the story. Like, I enjoyed yeah. all the sports stuff. I enjoyed the caring about Beast Boy, his big tragic saving the world play that landed in his death, mm-hmm. um, everyone coming together to save him. All that stuff was great. And I think the Raven stuff is is fine, and I'm, but I'm excited for it more going forward because, like, okay, now we have this darker side of Raven, and I'm looking forward to Beast Boy maybe noticing that there's something not mm-hmm. quite right for him to be the one who says, "Hey, that's not my Raven. There's something there." Yeah, you know. Or, or what if because of this has has changed him, and he's just like, "Yeah, no, she understands it now," mm. and you know. And not necessarily he's on the dark side, but he's on a darker I'm, sense like, of. I'm about to reference something I have never seen, uh-oh. Uh-oh. but. At one point, he's going to go, that's not so Raven. <laughs> very, very, very nice. I've heard of a show called That's So Raven. Yes, I've never seen you. it. I don't know what um, it is. It... More... Well, she's she's a, a teenager that gets psychic visions, and then hilarity ensues. Really? So, I, I had no yeah. idea there was a superpower. Yeah. I just thought it was a sitcom, yeah. but fair enough. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a sitcom based around, she'll, you know, typical sitcom stuff, and then she'll look into the future and see something bad happen, and then... It ends up being one of those type of self-fulfilling prophecies. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I, uh, I think I was just a bit too old by the time that started. Yeah. yeah. But, okay. Fair enough. You know, uh, I, have, I have a wife within your, your age range that's very familiar with That's the Raven. And then when the show came back for one of the Legacy sequels, she watched all that too. So, you know, uh, very familiar. Even though I don't remember character names, I just know Raven. Um, anyways, to, to add on what you were saying uh, about Dr. Hate versus Dark Raven is once the reveal happens, I care way more about Dark Raven than I do Dr. Hate, you know? And I know, I know part of it is you have to keep the mystery of who this is because of, you know, the, the turn in the, you know, the fifth issue or whatever. But once it's revealed to be Dark Raven, that matters to me more because of, you know, stuff we're talking about story and character going forward. Then you know, because I, I think it's also because Doctor Hate just felt or just felt like a 
a typical comic book thing where yeah. the whole point is that we're waiting for the reveal mm-hmm. and it feels a bit gimmicky as a result. And I don't know if this was Taylor's idea or if this was like wider DC stuff. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know because it's just fiend into Titan, so it probably was just his idea. I'm only the only reason why I'm questioning that is because it was set up in those final pages of that last oh. thing. And I'm wondering if he's just like, look, I'm going to use a Dark Raven. I'm going to have to keep it under secret. So yeah, let's, you know, hey, I feel like him and Williamson both are under under the understanding about um, about Waller. So they're like, well, how can we work on this that it can forward both of her goals, you know, and and by creating Doctor Hate out of Night Terrors and then into now into Titans or now I feel like that part's over. And I feel like we still have, you know, from being the only person still reading Green Arrow on on the show, <laughs> Waller's still very much a character in that, and that's Williamson, you know. So I, I have the feeling that we'll get some more of this Waller stuff there, you know, leading up to uh, the whatever the summertime event is, which I'm pretty sure is going to be Williamson at this point. I also just uh, wonder if it's just a kind of a like you're doing a, a an event. You have to mm-hmm. have some gimmicky mystery to draw people yeah. in, and that's what Doctor Hate was designed to be. So mm-hmm. even if it was Taylor's idea, it might be kind of like a necessary evil of just the mm-hmm. the, the the format that he's writing for, uh, which yeah. is not to just blindly defend him necessarily. It could just be his mediocre idea because he has them mm-hmm. sometimes. That's normal, but yeah, pirate society, right? Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure, you know? pirate society. That's a good example. Like, you know what I mean? But but again. And this is coming from a former Williamson guy. Is I feel like when Williamson is throwing out all these ideas, he forgets about the character aspect of it. Whereas with Taylor, he's very character driven. So yes, Doctor Hate might have been like this cool design, and we're going to give him the 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 Helm of Chaos and the the Nightmare Stone. But at the end of the day, the motivations are whatever Dark Raven is, not necessarily. You know, whatever you know, whatever they were gonna do with the nightmare yeah, stone. I am sure there's going to be good drama in Titans because mm-hmm. of this now, and I'm yep. excited about that. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, but everything else in the event, I, I really liked. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a good time. I think double shipping it, uh, yeah. Or in this month's case, kind of triple shipping it with the week five, just to get it over in about two and a half months. I think was yeah. a smart choice. It meant that even though Titans and Nightwing tied into it a little bit, it was only an issue or two. Uh, mm-hmm. for each book and uh, just you know it was a breeze and there was a fun tiny thing over christmas and january basically to to have this event to to talk about so yeah what are you giving titans beast world issue six i'm gonna give it an 8.5 yeah um I'm, I'm tempted to to go as high as the nine i i think there's a lot of really smart things it does but at the mm-hmm. same time, it is kind of an event final issue, so it's mm-hmm. you know it has the 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 components that normally make up those issues of like doing a lot of action, and it looks quite good the action. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of good stuff in there. That said, though, I think I'll agree with the eight point five. I think I'll agree with that. All right, Batman and Robin twenty twenty four annual Joshua Williamson writing with Howard Porter on the art. So what is this? One might, uh, one might ask. Yes. What is this? Who? What was this, something about the hunted on the cover? So yeah. Basically, uh, Batman and Robin are, are chasing after the, what, what's what's this pair of twins called? Uh, Double Dare, and mm-hmm. you know, there's not much to it. They catch them in the first like two pages, uh, but the 
whole thing is um one of them mentions that they just wanted to get some money to go on a road trip and that's why they stole something and damien and this is actually my biggest complaint of the issue is that damien turns to batman and says what's a road trip and i'm like i'm sorry damien's 14 years old he's been living in the city for you know five years or something now how you're not this concept of a road trip is not an alien thing to him, right? He's not a fish out of water anymore. He has friends across the world. <laughs> he met. They are all assassins. True. However, mm-hmm. he made friends on that the, the murder tournament island. Okay? Like, he would know road tripping to go see them. Ugh. So, see, this is the stuff with Williamson that I just go, what, what are we yeah. doing, bud? It's, it's just it's a weird thing. Um... But, I mean, the actual thing that it sets up is kind of fun as a concept. It's basically, you know, we cut cut to the next page. Uh, Bruce is taking Damien on a father-son road trip. They're going camping or whatever. And it's about bonding. It's about doing normal stuff. Uh, no outfits. No Batman and Robin. Just father-son stuff. But, of course, when they stop at a station uh, along the way, there's a bunch of missing posters. And they say, oh, there's going to be plot anyway. There's going to be mm-hmm. something to solve. Uh, and sure enough, when they get to the campground, they like find a dead body within seconds, right? Which I would have complained about, but they find more dead bodies, and it becomes very clear within a couple pages they've they've been trapped in a force field. And what this actually is is that it's her old sneaky friend Roulette who puts on hunts for rich people who want to hunt people in this like circular forest area. Uh, Dang! I thought you meant she was having rich people hunted. Doesn't mean like, no, oh, yeah. no, no. Damn. Uh, so they're basically the, the prey for all these assassins and rich people who want to go hunting. Uh, the main one being, uh, what's his name? Uh, blood Sport. That's the one. I can't wait to say Bloodshot. That's not, not Bloodshot. That's a Vin Diesel movie. Blood, yeah. Blood Sport. Blood Sport is, was that Idris Elba's character in the second? I believe so in the second Suicide Squad. Actually, that, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Uh, although the movie didn't have this whole thing where he can materialize guns out of nothing. He's got like fancy tech that lets him just have guns appear in his hands. Every American's dream. (laughs) So, I mean, that's what it is. And Batman and Robin have realized this and like, okay, what have we got with us? And we've got, we've got like a little hatchet. We've got some rope. We've got some, some torches, some matchsticks, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then there's a couple things at the bottom. There's like six batarangs, a katana, and some smoke grenades. And Batman turns to Robin and says, "I told you no, uh, you know, no bat tools on this trip." And he's like, "But you bought the you brought the batarangs." And he just like goes, "Hmm." So uh, you know, whatever. But basically, they pretend to go to sleep, but they actually set up a bunch of Rambo-style traps for all the villains that are going to come and try and kill them. Uh, it's basically about as bonding as, as Bruce and uh, Damien would, would have. Mm-hmm. Um, Howard Porter's art is, you know, it's Howard Porter art, right? It, it worked mm-hmm. very well whenever he was doing Flash. I've had some issues when he's been doing something like Batman because he's sort of more loosey-goosey style. Doesn't yeah. necessarily lend itself as well. I'd say it's fine a lot of the time, but there's also sometimes where he'll just make it a lot wavier than it should be. Mm. And I think a good example of this is when they're at the campsite and like one of the assassins uh, like trips over a tripwire, right? So a tripwire is a straight line. Mm-hmm. And when you trip into it, maybe you bend it forward a little bit, but you, you trip. 
the 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 art at the top of this page that shows the assassin tripping on this tripwire, the 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 line is like a is like an S shape, and there's like waves around. It, it, it's so weird. It, it, it just doesn't feel like the. Like, That's a a very ineffective trip line if it's shaped like an S. Well, it wasn't in the previous page. It's just like a. Yeah. It's like he's overly artistically trying yeah. to jazz it up, and it just kind of feels like yeah. it's almost lost the intent of what it's supposed to be. I had that same issue with him on Deathstroke when he was doing Deathstroke with Williamson. And it was a lot of this stuff that was very straightforward, kind of action-y that he was adding flares to that makes sense in Flash when someone's moving at that speed, right? But people that are meant to be kind of normal humans, it's always a little bit weird. Like the proportions are off and the perspective seemed off. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. So... Yeah, I mean, that, that's basically it. Uh, at one point, some, uh, I think it's Bloodsport who thinks he's killed them because he stabs the, the the sleeping bags, but it turns out they're not in there because they're too smart for that. The old trick chasing trick. Yep. Uh, so, I, I mean, not really all that much to it as a story, really. Eventually, obviously, Bruce and Damien go to the headquarters where the, where the actual gambling of it's happening and where they're all placing their bets. And kind of take it down. Roulette runs away for a little bit, of course. Bloodsport tries to get back involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, the uh, the police come in, chases there uh, to, to arrest Roulette. And that's basically it. And the little t- stinger at the end is is Damien realising that Bruce knew about this case and that he took him out there intentionally to get into this. It wasn't just going to be camping ever. Because this is how they bond. Which, to be fair, is something Damien says somewhere in the middle of the issue. He's like, we're not regular father and son. Like, we bond in different ways. We don't have to bond over a sports game just because that's what regular people do. We we bond over good martial art techniques. We bond over taking down kingpins. Uh, And this is kind of Bruce, in a way, acknowledging that, yeah, there's some truth to that. Like, we, we bond differently. We bonded over taking down this weird assassin's sporting thing <laughs> yeah i i you won't appreciate this but it sounds like in stepbrothers when john c Riley is telling the dad we're men we show with the door open we do this we do that and and his dad looks at him because we've literally never done any of that stuff you know so this feels very much the same vibe as that you're right i didn't appreciate that <laughs> no i mean i knew you wouldn't yeah but here's a good example the very final page which is just a full page spread of them driving back to gotham and the bridge is just wavy from side to side for like no reason <laughs> like yeah. why why is it wavy i don't it's understand not, not a very good bridge is what you're saying <laughs> it's you, just you want it... a straight you want a straight very sturdy bridge <laughs> it's just just you know, it's, it's like sometimes he thinks, I'll spice it up. These things that are meant to be straight lines, I'm just going to have some fun with them instead. And I just feel like it just it detracts from the overall vibe. Uh, so I'd say the art's kind of middling for me because of that, these flourishes that he puts in. I mean, I don't think the comic's great. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it that much because I don't think it's... You know, it's not continuing the main story in any way, which, you know, I tend to prefer in an annual just to just give me an oversized regular issue, basically. I do at least appreciate that this is just one self-contained story by the regular writer, though, instead of, you know, an anthology of short stories. Mm-hmm. More on that in a bit. Uh, but it's only just okay. You know, it's like a 6.5. The, the overall concept's fun enough, but 
Uh, the art does drag it down for me a little bit, and yeah, so it's it's fine. It's okay. It, it's yeah, pretty harmless, but no one should be rushing so, out to buy it. So what? So I'm looking at so when you go to League of Comic Geeks, I'll give you like characters that pop up in mm-hmm. there. Uh, they got Ambush Bug, Johnny Quick, Ultraman, and Superwoman tagged in this issue. There's like a quick panel. Uh, I can't remember if it's a flashback from Bloodsport okay. or if it's just they're attacking Bloodsport in the moment. I'll be honest, I don't remember. Okay. But it's like one panel or two. Okay. It's not. It's nothing. Because, <laughs> again, that's Earth 3. That's where Waller came from. So I'm just wondering. Oh, yeah, it's a flashback because that's where Bloodsport comes from. Oh, oh. Or he spent Didn't time I, there. Well, one or the other. But he was on Earth three. He, t- he he briefly mentions gotcha. it, and that's where you get the the flashback panel of all these other characters. So, got you. Okay. Well, there we go. And I'm only curious because of again Williamson and you know the the Waller stuff going forward and where this all plays into. So, you know, I'm just trying to piece it all together as best I can. Yeah, I don't think this is tying into Waller. I think this is just. I mean, unless he shows up in her new Suicide Squad team or whatever, I don't know. It's possible. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Uh, but I'm sure I'm sure that'll go as smoothly as the new Suicide Squad game is this week. Uh, Man, so I work around, you know, middle school kids. Mm-hmm. Not one of them had anything good to say about that game <laughs> when I overheard them this week. Oh, I'm not it surprised. Was bad. Like, imagine how bad kids are with things and just crank that up to the highest level. It was hoof. Bad times. Yeah, yeah. You could you could pay extra to get into it early, right? And that version's uh, like a hundred plus dollars. And they had to pull it down after it was online for like, you know, a few minutes because anyone who joined into the game who went to go play it, the game just kind of like glitched and said you'd completed it already. Oh boy! So they couldn't play the story, or at least not properly. Anyway, I but... want to know what DC did, who they pissed off to to get this curse. Because <sighs> man, anything that's not comics right now is just snake bit. <laughs> uh, Warner Brothers making a lot of dumbass decisions. That's uh, that's that's what that is. Gotcha. Anywho, that checks out. Uh, Batman Superman World's Finest 2024 Annual. Um, different creators because it's it's like four different stories throughout, mm-hmm. which is probably the first big problem for me is that I was hoping oh maybe it'll be a standalone or maybe it'll be a, a, a an offshoot from Wade, you know, something that ties mm-hmm. into the the main stuff. Um, he does the first story mm-hmm. with Colin Bunn, uh, which so he's he's a, he's a co-writer on one of them, mm-hmm. which is not as as much as I would like, but hey. Um, but this is a story of uh, Mixapitalik, Batmite, and all the other various mates that either existed and Wade's pulling them from somewhere, or perhaps some of them are new creations here. I'm not entirely sure. I, I'm willing to say that they're new creations because the way the way that they're acting, I, it definitely feels like they're more like Batmite than they are Mixapitalik, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, uh there's one mate for both Green Lantern and Green Arrow because they, yeah they call him Green Mate which which I think is hilarious yeah I, I, they tell him to pick a lane I did enjoy everyone making fun of Hawkman's backstory they're like hey mm-hmm. I dare you to tell me your origin story I dare you mm-hmm. uh, that was pretty funny I'll admit I, I will say though like this 
it felt like just a lot of like comedy until eventually there's actually something that shows up that starts killing yeah. them all. But that happens quite late in the story, uh, where we get all yeah. the villain mates show mm-hmm. up. You get Joker mates and Astro mates, so on, so on. But they're being led by some evil voice. We don't get to see who it is. They're no. in a cloak. They're uh, in a cloak. Their dialogue is uh, in black bubbles with red font, which is always somebody like Darkseid. So I'm not saying this is Darkseid, but it's... <laughs> Dar- Dark Darkseid mate? Is that how you know, you're getting at? I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's very reminiscent of that. And I know that Wade, and I know he only co with this, Wade doesn't do stuff by accident like that. You know what I mean? So... I mean, whatever this threat is, it's a it's something of Darkseid's level. It says to be continued in issue 25 of World's Finest, which is fine. Mm-hmm. And I've got a funny feeling that when we get to the continuation of this, this entire story is going to feel like something that basically will get explained in a sentence, and that would have been fine if you'd never read this. Like, it's probably mm-hmm. just going to be, oh, this evil force killed most of the mates in like, yeah. the, the fifth dimension. And that'll be mentioned probably to sell how threatening they are. But mm-hmm. this actual story of it happening is mostly just the mates having yeah. comedy dialogue for like, you know, eight pages oh. before. And, and makes the piddle like trying to tell them stuff. But because they are the, they're a different kind of imp than him that they're not taking anything serious. He, you know, he gets finally fed up. He's like, I try to tell you guys. And then yeah. he, he gets out of there. I think him and Bat might. Yeah. Um, so the, so the, the two ones that are actually pre-established mm-hmm. that we know. Yeah tend to be around are the ones that survive which is not so mm-hmm. so it tells me that obviously we're getting these two in world's finest but yep. uh i feel like this is going to be like barely a, a footnote as to like the just explaining yeah. that this threat's coming and that's it which is fine like but when i got to the end of this i felt like okay that was mostly just comedy i didn't feel like it was mm-hmm. that substantial but okay you've set up this villain for this future story and i thought as long as now we can get into some more proper stories after this, I'll be, I'll be happy. And I'm not saying I disliked all the ones after this, but this was the only one that felt like it was actually that relevant to the main book. The rest of them... Yeah. You the, know, the, the last one feels like it ties into this one, but other than that... Yeah. Because uh, the, there, the, there's nothing. The second story is a metamorphosis story, and it basically follows on from whatever issue it was where that story wrapped up, where they were dealing with yeah. Stag and metamorphosis, where... Mm-hmm. Stag wants to uh, take Metamorpho to this volcano in Markovia to get this fancy relic that he wants. Yeah, the uh, Hammer of Vulcan, uh, which is a god. You know, he's the the Roman god of creation. He's like, uh, who is he? Like uh, Hephaestus and stuff. So you know, he you know they're gonna send Metamorpho because of his his powers. Yeah, he can survive yeah. in there uh, mm-hmm. unlike anyone else. This is a Dennis Culver story. So yeah. I didn't realize this wasn't Wade, right? I thought all of these were going to be Wade, you know, doing a thing. And I was like, wow. Oh, no, this he's done. Dialogue he's is, done. Yeah. He, was, he was finished after that cool writing the first story. Yeah. <laughs> but did not realize this. So as I'm reading this, I'm going, man, this dialogue's rough. This is not very Wade-like. And then when I got to the credit page, I was like, oh, it's because this is Dennis Culver. It's not, it's not Wade at all. To be so, fair, though, his Doom Patrol book, I thought, had good dialogue. I, so that's, that's... I thought... I thought so too. So. I, I wonder if this is because he has to fit it into like 10 pages or whatever it is. Yep. That he's he's struggling is, to condense it all in. Yeah. That's because that's what I was having a hard time with is like, I like Dennis Culver. Why is this not, this sounds, and then, yeah, it's very truncated. It's very, you know, you just tell like the story's fine, but you can tell he wasn't like, felt like the Doom Patrol book was like a, 
a um, not like a dream project, but something he was itching to write. And this is just kind of like, uh, you know, sure, I'll I'll write a Metamorpho backup story. Yeah, he says how the backstory of Metamorpho's dad and his relationship with his dad. So obviously, his dad's going to show up. That's not yep. like surprising anyone. Um, I thought you might enjoy though that Rex used to be dressed like uh, what's his face, uh, O'Connor from the Mummy. Like seeing mm-hmm. that flashback panel, he looks yeah. just like him. I was thinking Nathan Drake at first, but the the scarf thing that he's wearing is yep. actually more like Rick O'Connell. Yep. That and then his dad is definitely not an Indiana Jones ripoff named Montana Mason. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Which, in a in a bubble, I would I would love this. I just you know. Again, the dialogue was kind of off and everything was rushed. Like, I felt like if this was, if this was like a world's finest uh, fill-in issue where we had Culver and everybody and we got an issue to tell the story, I think it still would have been fine. It was just everything was rushed. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the characters involved and mm-hmm. I, I, I like the overall vibe of, of what it does. The the implication at the end that when he finds his dad in this big kind of like super bulky like diving suit to protect him from the elements Mm -hmm. Uh, he lets his dad seemingly you know it's implied that he lets his dad take the artifact because he doesn't want you know rich asshole simon stag to have it so the the subtext of this was is that he wanted to follow in his dad's footsteps until he realized he could make money because his dad was just uh doing it for science right uh which also his dad's kind of drawn like uh like sean connery in uh in last crusade so that was funny as well yeah, he's, um, his dad basically just thinks that belongs in a museum. Yeah, and so, and and Rex is like, no, we can get paid, and I'm tired of living poor when we can get paid. And so that's the crux of their argument. So when they when he gets down there and this is like, you know, I this this is going to go where it belongs, and Metamorpho is just like, yeah, okay. And we don't know exactly what he does, but by the time he gets back up with Stag, he's like, oh, yeah, I got down there. The lava had already eaten the... the yeah, it- uh, it's, hammer and he lets his dad get away and to stag's sugar in yeah uh, it's just he clearly lies about it um mm-hmm. and stag's pissed and just thinks he's he's always oh, a failure again because he's yeah. always failing me that stupid uh metamorpho mm-hmm. uh whereas sapphires defends him i mean it's a fine little thing it, it does kind of feel like it might be setting up something for a future book because it feels mm-hmm. like why are you establishing this relationship with his father if we're not going to like be telling more of the story somewhere so I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know if Culver's getting a Metamorpho or a Fantastics book. Well, not Fantastic, a Terrifics. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, I was I was crossing the streams with what it's based on, which is Fantastic time. Four. Big time work. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it's perfectly fine. But you know, I I was sort of feeling like, wait, are these all going to be like anthology stories? And mm-hmm. you know, sure enough, we get to the story after this, and it's a tie-in to World's Finest Teen Titans. And I was like, okay, that's cool. We get a we get a you know a Bumblebee story from from Teen Titans, uh, but it's Stephanie Williams writing uh, with Rossi mm-hmm. Campy on art, and I'm like, okay, so Wade's not doing any of these. And it's not to say that like I'm not saying that there can't be other writers in here that I mm-hmm. wouldn't be excited to see. Uh, but you know, I feel like Stephanie Williams is one of these writers who I see pop up in these types of anthology issues, and I don't know if I've ever mm-hmm. actually read like a full comic from her that I that I really like. And yeah. And there's nothing. So she also did the Nubia book, right. And some Wonder mm. woman and that. So that's where I'm familiar with her. And she's not a bad writer. I just feel like these projects that I end up reading from them. They're just, they, they never resonate with me. And this ended up being a very by the numbers, Bumblebee origin kind of book or a story. 
not even a book. And I just kind of, I've seen all these beats before. Um, and I'm just kind of like, okay. So this is one I kind of just skimmed and just kind of got by the art. Um, because ugh, nothing, not that there's anything wrong with Bumblebee. I just, I don't necessarily, you know, I would have appreciated her and her and, uh, her boyfriend, uh, the music guy, you know, continuing from Teen Titans versus an origin for her. I mean, I don't mind it being a solo Bumblebee story. I just don't think the story itself is that captivating. It's basically yeah. her breaking into a like a medical company to prove mm-hmm. that they're making bad uh, prosthetics and things like that. Mm-hmm. And she wants to get proof so that her friend, who does like reporter stuff, will will actually report on it. Report on it. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically just her sneaking in with some like self-made doohickeys and uh, and doing this. And it's just it's just not that overall that interesting I, yeah. I think it's just a bit too straightforward uh all things considered mm-hmm. um also anytime i see people calling through vents knowing that vents are meant to hold air up people that'll still never not make me laugh because i mean you like, know th- yeah this is l- hardly the first or last time you yeah. really see that like i just it's still it just still just makes me laugh you know yeah uh, the final story is a Challengers of the Unknown story with Christopher mm-hmm. Cantwell writing with Jorge Fornes on art. So the art is the best that looks... I mean, this is the let's, best art in the book. Let's go. Yeah. yeah let's go. Uh, Challengers did, of the Unknown by Fornes. Yes. Yeah. I, I did find it a little tough to follow what the hell was going on in this story, though, if I'm if I'm being mm-hmm. completely honest. Um, I get that they go into some kind of other dimension through a door. And mm-hmm. it seems like one of them, uh, Jane specifically, it seems like she is left behind and dies. Mm-hmm. But then, would you believe it? She just kind of like walks back out at the end. Mm-hmm. So uh, as I read this, right, so they're talking about the Challenger of the Unknown and their origin is they all, all four of them survive a plane crash, which gives them this idea that they they are living life on on, you know, life is ticking by and they're living life on a clock. And so what they they have to do is they're going to try to extend their life by doing good deeds. And this leads them into doing, you know, you know, superhero, we action adventure stuff. And so here they end up the dot character ends up, as I took this, getting in touch with the fifth dimension. Right. Which when when we hear about Mixipidolic in the fifth dimension, we can't perceive it because our brains aren't advanced enough. And so when Doc's in there trying to engage with it ends up getting lost to it. It looks like it's attacking him. So the rest of the challengers go in there and they all get, you know, wonky, right? As it is like, we see the brains are all floating. They're not, nothing's making sense and stuff uh, until Jane goes in there and is able to, you know, get everything focused to where in, if I believe she ends up going back and seeing their, you know, yeah, if I she- through the fifth dimension, she, she sees their origin and has a new appreciation for what they went through. Well, I don't know right? if I got that, but she does okay. mention that she landed on like the mm-hmm. mountain that they landed their plane oh, on. That's right. right. That's what she says. That's where she yeah. woke up. So something right. put her mm-hmm. there. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I, was, I was very surprised that this just said end at the end, mm-hmm. because I thought this was going to say to be continued in something, yeah. because it felt like it was setting up a mystery that I, I like, well, where are we going yeah, with it this? Felt like, it felt like the thing that was attacking the doc was the same thing that it attacked the imps, right? It was like this weird squid thing, you know, with, with tentacles and, you know. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about there. I don't remember a squid thing with tentacles in that first story. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it was in the at the end of the first story. It was definitely there with the uh, with the villain imps. Was it? Um, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. when I'm you when you, when you said earlier that you think the last story tied into the first one, I was like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah. I don't remember any. So, so go to that page where it says to be continued. There is that. It kind of looks like Starro. Is this supposed to be a a, a Starro mate? I don't know. I'm going there. So I shouldn't say squid, right? But it's a. It's definitely something. Wait, are you talking about the clothes that are floating? It's right above the clothes. Of it's got the eye with the, the pink with the five tentacles. So it looks more like a starro than a squid. Yeah, that's just clothes. What are you talking about? <laughs> no way, that's an eye, bro. Look look right below Little Lobo in, uh, to the right of Little Cheetah. I mean, I, and I see it, but I, I yeah. legitimately didn't think that was a living thing. I I thought that looked like someone's shirt floating after they'd killed them. Yeah, no, I think it's supposed to be a creature of some kind. And now I'm going to go to the challengers and see. I say, Well, I say shirt. What I, what I really mean is more like a full body suit because it's got enough uh, yeah. parts coming off of it. Um, yeah. And then see, there's when, when they get attacked, right? And they're in what looks like the fifth dimension and you can't make sense of anything. There's like tentacle things attacking them. So I just assumed those are one and the same thing. And uh, that's why I thought it was a fifth dimensional thing. But maybe this is just a one and done type story. And it was just something from the void, you know, getting at the challengers, you know. Um, I just wanted them to connect. So, you know, that the, the little Starro thing. You know, I thought I mean, maybe... even, even if I'm on board, like, and I agree, maybe it's not just yeah. clothes like I think it is, yeah. but I still don't see it linking up with what these tentacles are in the final story. They don't look anything similar to me, other than the fact that they're both red. Yeah, well, that's that's all that I was going off of because I really wanted them to connect. I, I think you're yeah. making connections here that are not there to be made. <laughs> True. I, I'm not going to disagree. I so. yeah I I wasn't I wasn't getting that from that um yeah I I I literally just just like I glanced thought that was the flashies like the yeah. flashmates outfit it was just floating in the air yeah uh, no maybe yeah. it's a little starro I don't know but it's definitely but it looks like a starfish look at the, the way the top two parts are like f coming down though it's, it's it doesn't yeah it's not I don't know it doesn't look as drawn to be a creature why, it, but why is there an eye on it. I just thought it was on the design, but yeah. I mean, maybe. I'd... Uh, yeah. Anyways, um, this is this is the worst kind of annual. I yeah, feel. yeah. I, I, as as a yeah. whole reading experience, yeah. despite any pause, minor positives I'll yep. say about any individual stories, I hated reading this. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a a, a, um, a challenge to get through. Uh, however, the Fornes art in the last I was not expecting. So when oh, I, yeah. I got there and I saw Fornes, I was like, oh. Thank God. Well, the, there's some there's some positive here. The Fornes art is great, but it's yeah. just you know it's this real mixed bag. And by the end of it, I'm mm -hmm. just like, oh my God, can I? Like I remember getting to the end of the third story and be like, oh God, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. Oh no, there's one oh. more. Yep. <laughs> yep. So so it's the sort of thing where if this hadn't been a week five and we had like you know seven eight other books, I would have just mm -hmm. called it. I'd be like, oh, no, I, yeah. I don't have to read this. But I was yep. like, ah, oh, should we don't have that many books this week? Okay, fine. Yep. So yeah, yeah. Not not my preferred type of annual, sadly. What what are you giving World's Finest annual? I'm gonna give this a six. I'm at five. I'm gonna write down the middle. Yeah. There, there you go. There's positives in there, but 
fundamentally, I just did not I enjoy kinda, it. I kind of want more. Kind of want Dennis Culver now on Challenger of the Unknown, right? After what he did with the uh, with the Doom Patrol. Yeah. To be you clear, know, he I, did not rate the Challenger no. story in this book. No, that was Christopher Cantwell, and I think I've read a couple things by Cantwell. They've been like one-offs, but um, kind of incomprehensible. And I think that was the point. But I feel like like Culver could tie everything back together. He's got a really kind of cynical, jaded attitude. I mean, yeah. if he really wants to motivate himself, he should be calling himself Christopher Canwell. Yes. Didn't. That was a great joke. Everyone at home was cheering once again for my <sighs> exceptional levels of comedy. You are welcome. <sighs> Peasants, bow down before the master of hilarity. Why start now? This is just phase one in my... 10 phase plan to become the Joker someday. <laughs> Start off with bad jokes. Yeah. All right. You're almost there. You're almost do part one. Uh, all right. Trinity special issue one. Uh, the main thing we'll talk about is the new story by Tom King and Daniel Sempier. Mm-hmm. Uh, what this actually is though, in totality is a, a, a reprinting of the backups from the last three issues of wonder woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got like the stuff where it's that she's being babysit uh, the last of which was the the kangaroo race, uh, which I think was yep. just this month's issue, wasn't it? It was. It was, yeah. well, it was the last issue. Yeah. So. It was very, very recent. So that's the first half of this book. And then we get to the new story, which is basically just this mirroring of uh, kind of like after Diana had won her, her trials, the test to see if she could, you know, deflect a bullet uh, with Apollo shooting the gun we see that mirrored in the future with Diana loading a gun mm-hmm. and wanting to fire it, or not wanting to, but like, uh, you know, Lizzie being the one who has to prove herself and deflect it. Mm-hmm. And the idea being that both Diana and Apollo, as they're the ones loading the gun, are really trying to talk them out of this because if they don't deflect it, then they're in a world of trouble. <laughs> so That's it. Yeah. It's basically, I think more than anything, it, once, yeah, it compares the motherhood of Diana and yeah. Apollo but more importantly, I think it, it displays the, the mirror image of the determination of young Diana and young Lizzie, who are both like, no, mm-hmm. I can do this. I'm ready to prove myself. The, the, basically, the you knowing what Wonder Woman went through, knowing what Diana went through, she's a bit more hesitant. And then you look back at, now she knows, what, now Diana knows what Hippolyta was going through. Because yeah. what Hippolyta went through to become the queen you know, and it's just these things where you think you're this young, headstrong person and you know everything. But on the other side of that is someone who cares for you, that knows you're capable, but, you know, not that they want to prevent you, but they just want to make sure you're ready. Um, and there's a line that Lizzie says about being older than Diana, uh, right? Or Diana tells Lizzie that I, I, I was older than you were now. Uh, along those lines. And then Lizzie responds to her and he's like, yeah, but then when I get to your point, I will be older and more wise, or I'll be younger and more wise than you were. It's, it's really so, confusing to say it out, but just to try yes. and clarify what you just said there. Yes. She's saying that because she's already more advanced at an earlier yes. age, that by the time she's Diana's age, she'll be even wiser than Diana is right. at this point. So she's saying that she's better and she'll always be a little bit better. <laughs> right. And that's because, and I took that as that's, sure, it seems like she's seeming snotty, Right. But to me, that's also her telling Diana how good of a job she did. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. So, totally. you know, and it's also it looking in the meta, 
you know, narrative with Tom King and, and what this is saying about parenting, right? Is it to be a, a great parent, you got to prepare your kid. You can't just hold them back. Right. And so just the idea that, you know, Diana doesn't want her to become the next one woman, not because she doesn't want to be usurped, but because she doesn't want to lose her kid. Uh, and it, it all, you know, for uh, the small, was it three, three, four page story? Or more than that? I mean, it's not a lot. It's maybe maybe yeah. six pages, but it was it was pretty pretty resonating. You know, it's a lot of pretty good storytelling. It's five pages. Uh, it's five pages. Okay. Uh, and you don't you know it, the, the 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 story ends with a gun firing. You don't get to see yep. the the payoff to it, which you know mm -hmm. I think is just a, a nice little clip. yeah. Because because we we know that they're going to deflect the bullet. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, it's just a reprinting of the first story with Trinity, which mm -hmm. was the one that came out before the Wonder Woman run started. I think it was from issue eight hundred, probably. Yeah. That uh, just kind of like showed you like John and Damien waiting the beach for, her, and it was them getting into the the caves, basically to get to the Sovereign. And I, I'm only mm -hmm. bringing this up because it's actually very interesting reading this now that we've read, you know, four or five mm -hmm. issues of Wonder Woman, because now we have better context for what she's here for. And she's here to hear the sovereign story, uh, specifically of of her, right? She mm -hmm. wants to hear her own story from the sovereign's perspective. So this sets up why they're because I, I think back in issue three or whatever it was, where mm -hmm. we saw they were in a jail cell and he was telling the story. I think we sat and talked about, oh, why is she in a cell with him? And it was yeah. it was actually in this. She came to see him. It's not that she's locked in a cell with him or anything. It's we just spaced. This. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all of this had kind of left my brain um, mm -hmm. so it, it was kind of nice being reminded of this I didn't read it fully don't get me wrong I sort of skimmed through oh, yeah. it again and just sort of read the last so, couple pages but there are things now looking back at when he uses us right instead of me yeah uh, that that are going that are very curious uh, going forward to with the sovereign and then his last line is this is the story about how your mother defeated me you know, but we know that this man lies, right? So, like, yeah, you know, I it, mean, it, it adds this whole new, it adds this whole new sheen of of storytelling to it. Well, I, I think what's more important there is that he does always refer to the sovereign himself as we, mm -hmm. as us, because he right. always sees it as this lineage where he represents, yeah. you know, one of the of the line. So it's very interesting as he uses the word. That's the, I think that's the first time we've ever heard him say something in the first person like that. Yeah. The first time he's yeah. ever said me, singular. So mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting to see, like, how maybe over the course of the story as he's battling Wonder Woman, where it mm -hmm. maybe gets more personal to the point where he starts thinking of it that way. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, I'm curious, but... Uh, um, and the other stuff that stuck out too from reading all the backups is how she refers to Damien and John as her brothers. And the way, not just like, you know, how, how Bruce and... Uh, and um, Bruce and Clark refer to each other's brothers, but she like these are her actual big brothers, and so when when she you know gets them to do essentially these trials where John has to go through pain and uh, Damien is in this you know unwinnable battle, you know, and she even tells the Sovereign, "I need to be quick because I have to go rescue my brothers," you know. Um, I it adds to her character there too, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I will critique the issue as a whole, though. I think it's kind of a weird proposition because it's an expensive book mm -hmm. that is largely reprinted material of stuff mm -hmm. that anyone who cares about Trinity has already read. Because, right. like, if you're reading Wonder Woman, then this has five new pages in it. Mm -hmm. 
if you're not reading Wonder Woman and you're tempted by this, then you go and buy Wonder Woman, perhaps. Maybe you buy the first trade when it comes out. You're going mm-hmm. to get a lot of this material again, sort of sprinkled throughout that. Yeah. So I do think as a proposition, this special is really weird. Because it's, yeah. it's not like it can't... Because because all of it's pretty much backups in Wonder Woman itself, it's just kind of weird to me. Because normally when you do this thing where they'll say, hey, we're going to reprint these three issues a one, one-off special... It's usually to catch people up so they can jump straight into issue four or five or the new arc right. or, or whatever's coming. This doesn't really function like that. You still have to go back and read issue one through five. So I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a weird thing, other than just an excuse to have a new cover to sell to collectors, I guess. Yeah. Well, and there's a really nice Doc Shaner cover and there's a really nice Garrett's cover. So like, Okay, multiple covers to sell to collectors. Yeah, have. but those are... <laughs> But those are also incentive covers, right? So that's also them playing this with the comic stores, you know? Because the Garrett's is a 1 in 25 and the Shaner is a 1 in 50. So just to get one of those, the shop would have to order 50 of these that are kind of redundant. So well, that's, that's why they charge people a fortune yeah. for those issues, because mm-hmm. you're basically covering the price of ordering all those other issues to yep. get that one. Yeah, so, you know... Um, that said, that that Tom King story uh, with Sam Pierre on the art was five pages, was very very resonating and it, it, emotionally it, moving. It was good for five pages, but it's still but just it's five pages. But it's not worth a dollar a page, right? <laughs> it's not worth a dollar a page. So so you know, yeah, I'm just it's a bit scummy. Okay, I'm yeah. just gonna call it what it is. It's a bit scummy. Uh, maybe it's good as a teaser if you know someone who's not read any of it and you're like, hey, mm-hmm. you interested in this maybe. But the funny thing is, though, is that the first half of it is the backup. So even just because they like that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to like the main Wonder Woman story. They might find right. that they don't like how that's written compared to the backups. I don't know. Like I just don't know. It's all, all of it's just a bit weird to me as a, as a proposition. But hey, we both read it, so. Yeah. And I really love Lizzie as a character. She's just through through that story and then rereading The Sovereign uh, she she has a like a wit to her that I really like that makes her stand out. And yeah. she really, in comparison with Damien and John, who have this, we already know what their rapport is like. She fits in very well as this next generation, you know, of the biological kids of of them. And I'm still not even sold that Lizzie is the biological daughter of Diana. I'm still waiting for a, a thing. Yeah, to be fair, you used that there. word. DC have not used yes. that word. You threw no. in the word biological. Well, because John, John and Damien are both right, the biological sons of Batman. Yeah, but Wonder Woman herself was made out of clay in a lot of interpretations, right. so she's not necessarily biological to Hippolyta. So right. it would thematically make sense that her daughter mm-hmm. would also be someone who's not biologically been created. So of course, of uh, course, I'm just saying, like she fits in with that generation, you know, uh, very, very well. So I'm curious to see. When all is revealed, where this all stands. Yeah, we're not going to rate it because we're not rating five pages. Yeah. It's just not happening. <laughs> so, uh, we'll move on. Batman Offworld, issue three. Jason Aaron writing with Doug Mankey on the art. So, yeah, this was another enjoyable issue, I thought. As, as much mm-hmm. as the premise is weird, I think Aaron's writes a good comic. And it's, it's I definitely enjoyed this more on these action comics issue that just... Uh, this month i i will say that i can't believe this is only issue three because it feels like the first two issues were so packed with story 
that it feels like we've feels been dense. at this for a while. Yeah, it feels yeah. dense. Yeah. But just like, but not in a way where it's like, oh, it's too much to read. It's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot for Batman. There's, he's gone through a whole lot. And it's just, it's the skill of Aaron to make this already feel like through three issues, all of that stuff has happened. Yeah. Yeah. So we find out that he tamed that wolf because remember we ended that last issue mm-hmm. with him tackling the wolf in the cave. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ioni's here to, to, to rescue him and he's like, I need to yeah. build a new suit. But we have to go back to the the ship. We have to strike and take take them down. Uh, it sort of sets up that there's there's a a romantic sort of development between Bruce and Ioni. Um, she even mm-hmm. tries to sort of talk him out of going after the ship. Like, hey, why don't we just yeah. go somewhere and live? And it's sort of funny because like you know she gets on his lap, they have a bit of a kissy kiss, and he basically just says, "No, no, I still need to work on this. I'll be ready soon." And she gets upset. And what I liked about this is that yeah. it felt to me like this was playing off of the idea of, like, she's naive here for thinking for a second that he might give up anything to just go and be happy with her. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we've done this dance with Batman. Like, Selena yeah. was, was you know, we're going to marry him. We have, we've, we've done the whole dance before. And she storms off and says, oh... You know, she better be. You know, th- this place that you're in love with, this Gotham, must be the most magical place on earth because, like, the fact that you're turning me down, and that was funny to me because one, because yeah. Gotham is kind of a dump, <laughs> yeah. But two, because I'm like, yeah, like this makes sense that someone who has just met Bruce and has fallen for him in some way wouldn't understand this history and this devotion that he has. So mm-hmm. I really liked this because it really felt like. Bruce reacted the exact way that I think all of the audience will expect him to react when she makes this offer. Look, I'm going to say Bruce is a stronger man than I have because how a Tamaranian <laughs> like that straddle? He, he, man, he's an iron will. That, that's all. <laughs> okay. Good point, Matt. Well spoken. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, but also, yeah, her, she better be a worthy mistress, right? Mm. Uh, she's just pissed because you feel like Iody's not been turned down that often. Oh, right. probably not. Yeah, she's so she, you know she probably gets what she wants. Uh, yep. t- t- most of the time. Uh, so Batman gets fired from her ship into the big ship because obviously, remember the the big ship has the, the the storm that's like made around it to to hide it and stuff. Uh, he he gets fired into the ship. Uh, we get a you know very action heavy issue with Batman and he's like mm-hmm. sort of newly made bat suit fighting off the various aliens mm-hmm. and whatnot, and it's all good stuff. There's a big uh, full page two page spread of, of him and his outfit as he's like he's basically got like a glove that lights up with electricity that he's sort of mm-hmm. made to, to help fight uh, but Ioni comes aboard with her ship and the dog and is like okay she's there to like evacuate all of the prisoners who yeah. want to leave like this is Batman saving them uh, and Ioni's very upset at having been turned down because when Batman tries to say something meaningful to her she's like oh is this the part where we exchange how we feel and then she mm-hmm. punches him in the face. So he's he's maybe yeah. upset her a little bit. Just uh, a bit. But again, um, mildly funny, I'll say. Yes. And we'll also love when she's trying to evacuate the ship, because we also get with the captain, is the, the, the storm, the, the weather people that manage the storm, mm-hmm. are like, you know, sir, we have all, all the troops that we need for the for the mining, you know, it is the, the Black Sun Mining Company. You know, we, we can't, stand and fight we'll have to pick up new ones and Cam's like no we'll push ahead so then she starts evacuating them batman starts beating the piss out of them and they're losing numbers but um 
as one guy's trying to board her ship, she goes, you think I was going to forget and shoots him right in the face? <laughs> you know, one of the people that she had issues with before. So, you know, I thought that was pretty funny as well. Yeah. Which obviously Batman, because there's another scene here where Batman tells the, the, the big alien the dog wolf. to not kill anything. And the dog... Yep. It agrees, but has at least cut off or bit off someone's hand, so... You didn't say they couldn't, they had to have all their limbs, you just said don't kill them. That's true, that's true, technically yeah. he's following his orders. There's yeah. also a really nice couple panels where it goes to, like, the scrap heap, and, like, the, 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 the punch bot is like, yep. oh, he's back. <laughs> Batman <laughs> he, has come back for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was kind of sweet, because that was a lot of heart in the second issue, was the, uh, the yep. punch bot stuff. Um, so, yeah, uh, the art here from Mankey is typically very, very strong. Uh, you know, the action, all the deep inks, all that stuff. Uh, very well defined. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, Batman takes on the main alien dude with the horns because mm-hmm. he wanted to fight one of his kind because that's the, sort of, that's the sort of alien that showed up on Earth. That's what he was here for. And yep. he makes it very clear he's learned every weak point, every nerve, everything mm-hmm. he can attack to finish his mission and be ready mm-hmm. to go home because now he's prepared for this uh, this threat now. But mm-hmm. when he's done, he's like, I don't feel finished. And he turns to Ione and says, what do you know about this Black Sun mining company? Because this is when she's tr- just saying goodbye. She's like, oh, I, g- yeah. I guess this is goodbye then. And he's like, no, what do you know about this company? And it's basically this idea that he can't help but get involved that this corrupt regime is mm-hmm. doing this. Like As much as we've been focused on this big mining ship so far, Yep. They answer to a company. They answer to a, a higher power. Uh-huh. And this is, and Jutani, if you will. If you will. And he's like, okay, tell me about this. It's the idea that he, he can't just leave this be. He has to take mm-hmm. down the entire thing. And, yep. you know, we get a tease at the end of the villains that run the Black Sun Mining uh, Company, which are these really creepy-looking brothers who are like... Mm-hmm. A little Cenobite, a little... Yep. Uh, I don't know what. <laughs> they're, they're very creepy. They look like the Kaminoans from Star Wars, you know, the cloners. Mm. You know, big, long neck. But they also seem to have psychic powers because they make a guy uh, essentially uh, destroy his mind from the inside. Um, yeah. So I, I wonder if that's both brothers or just the, the small one. Because he, he asked the small one yeah. to come in, and he's the one that whispers something yeah. in the, the guy's ear, which makes True. him. True. Uh, he said it Maybe it is both of them. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I, my expectation is that their names here are Wrath and Whisper, and that the little mm-hmm. ones whisper, and that's his power is that he can whisper something in your ear and make you go nuts. Yeah. Uh, or maybe or maybe it's just poetic because, as Yes Brother well said, whether by Wrath or Whisper, it all ends the same. Yeah, but they're, so, they're bolded, so I, I kind of yeah. took that to mean is they're these he say or I guess she is this a woman? I think this is a woman actually. I think that's a woman. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the um, twins. Uh, so it's a brother and sister rather than brother. Sorry, but uh, I think that to, I took that to mean is the, the the brother's name Whisper and that's his power True. and she's Wrath, and she looks stronger. So Wrath makes some sense. Yeah. So all I know is they're very creepy. I do not like them. Oh yeah, so, they're very creepy. So that yeah, so. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this was kind of like almost wrapping up a mini arc, but it's not really mm-hmm. the end of the arc, though. It's just kind of yeah. the, the bridging to the, the larger um, part of it. And just also with the part of, of Batman trading to beat that type of alien, right? It also wasn't just like... I like that in the context, Aaron gives it of... He had to know how to defeat this type of alien because it, they'll, they'll be back in Gotham, right? Like, that's where he ran into him. So if he can know how to get rid of these type, then he'll be able to protect Gotham better. So I like that it wasn't just 
him settling a score or any of that. It really is a, a knowledge base type thing. Um, and then here, because of that, him having to go back and do this, uh, him realizing like there's always going to be something bigger, you know, there's always going to be something for Batman to fight. And here it's the, uh, you know, the mining company. Cause we even get Ioni when she goes down to that planet and he, she's talking to the locals. She starts like, yeah, I'd be upset too with how, you know, Black Sun mining company has been treating you guys, you know? Uh, so yeah, it's not just the ship. They're actually, you know, yeah. hurting the planets. They're hurting people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so there, there's all through that. And then, Batman essentially weaponizing the major predatory species on that alien's planet. You know, the, this barbed wolf. And he brings it back with him almost as a oh, yeah. he, he, as he, a mental game. He talks about how like the, the wolf could have killed him because he was basically mm-hmm. done fighting. But yep. the wolf clearly saw something in his eyes that mm-hmm. he should align with Batman because Batman will take him on more interesting hunts. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to keep that promise. I'm going to give him mm-hmm. something to hunt. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, very, very fun sci-fi stuff going on with Batman, which I never, I never thought that would be a great combo, but like this high alien sci-fi stuff, it's, it's really hitting, uh, with Aaron here. Yeah. I, like, obviously it's not billed as an Elseworld or anything like that. And I think technically it probably mm-hmm. is in continuity, but it's the sort of thing where I'm always going to think of it as an Elseworld. Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's weird to me to think about the regular Batman has having gone and done this but yeah. as a story on its own. I'm having fun with it. Yeah, he's been he he got shot from from a spaceship to another spaceship, like that. That's not something Bruce typically does. Yes, I mean know? I'm assuming there was protective gear involved, but you know. Yeah, of course, of course, but still. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's a lot of fun for for you know him him befriending a a wolf on top of everything too. You know, to me that is kind of very Batman. Um, but so so to put it on an alien planet and him earn the respect of this massive predator. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's almost like Batman's the biggest predator out there um, because he's hunting crime and all those, that, you know, all the people that want to do evil. Um, it's, it's you know, so it's, it's delightfully still Batman while doing something new. Yeah, well, I'm having fun with it. So uh, mm-hmm. what you written Batman off world? I'm going to give this a solid eight. Yeah, I find it hard to disagree with that number. Uh, it's a really good time without being, you know, my definitive Batman or anything like that. So, yeah, cool. Uh, she also mentioned there's a Joker Year One preview at the end of all the books uh, this week. Yeah, <laughs> cool. That's in our future, Matt, because that's not a mini. Wow. That's 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 Batman One Forty Two. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but very good. Uh, so, uh, one last book to talk about. Um, every month on Patreon, you can make myself or Connor read a book at a higher tier, if Connor's ever here, that is, I suppose. Uh, but uh, I'm going to talk about American Vampire Second Cycle Issue 4, my long uh, trip reading the American Vampire Saga, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously I've been really enjoying Second Cycle, especially since I hadn't read it before, so, so it's, it's all been new to me. Uh, the last issue ended with the Grey Trader effectively unleashing this tornado uh, around Pearl's like farm and threatening all the the, the vampires she's c- concealing inside inside the building. So this issue starts with a little flashback to eighteen eleven, where the Grey Trader is uh, attacking uh, seemingly a Native American, and 
the the guy's pleading for his life saying hey i betrayed all my people uh just you know go get the thing that i told you about and he's like i don't need it yet i don't need it for about another 150 years which obviously puts it up to about the 1960s and seemingly consumes the guy so it's just a tease for stuff to come but right away we're back into the tornado stuff and this issue is largely this big gigantic action scene that is really thrilling um you've got albuquerque on art here just going nuts with uh, all this stuff where pearl's running back to the house to try and get the kids she gets them to go into the cellar and try and barricade themselves and then like these winged vampire demons that the that the gray trader controls has summoned in and i can only describe these things as almost featureless bodies with wings but the one thing they do have is on their face is a vertical mouth um Oof. that's creepy <laughs> yeah so i mean it's a little vagina-esque right just inherently it's a vertical mouth so <laughs> Uh, these things they like, pick up her truck and uh, or drop it onto the, the land and whatever. Uh, and this is where Skinner speeds in on a motorbike and kind of helps save the day. And Pearl gets on the back of the bike and they're driving around and she's like, oh, you know, I thought you'd abandoned this. And he's like, no, nah, I was just looking for another vehicle. Like, I had that crappy car. I wanted a, something proper. Uh, he says, you were always a biker bitch at heart anyhow, uh, is a line from Skinner here. Uh, but, you know, this she starts getting scared because the tornado's starting to hit the house and the the other vampires are inside the house. So she's like, no, keep going, Skinner. We have to lure it away from them. We have to try and draw the attention of the Grey Trader, of the tornado, of everything. Because keep in mind, this is not a natural tornado. This is something the Grey Trader's doing. We mm-hmm. have to try and lure them away. So she's firing shotgun blasts back at it. It's coming after them. And eventually the bike stops and he's like, wait, why is the bike stopped? Like, I, I, I filled it up. It should be good. And it turns out that Pearl actually punctured the, the tank on the bike and there's a trail of gasoline going back to the tornado and she flicks open a lighter, throws it onto the ground and we get this glorious like full page of like a tornado on fire, which is just, it's kind of glorious. It's kind of simplistic mm-hmm. in terms of the art because it's just kind of lots of like yellow and orange streaks, really. But then there's a panel at the bottom where you can see sort of those demons on fire inside of it. Uh, all very good. It's all very apocalyptic. It really feels like a big action set piece uh, that the entire issue has been building up to that point. They go in and get the vampire kids and go run away from them. Um, in fact, just as they're leaving, luckily, uh, Cal and the 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 Elvis he did, who's, who mm-hmm. was like, doing the shows before, show up in a car. Which, for the record, the side of the car is a big guitar. In fact, Cal yells out, come on, get into the guitar <laughs> when he shows up. So this is just Scott Snyder once again showing his like Elvis fetish, I think, more than anything else. He loves doing this rock and roll stuff, uh, particularly from this kind of era. Uh, but they all jump in the car and they drive away. And it's just this full page almost of just the car driving with nothing but fire behind it. Um, and then there's this little panel at the bottom where it's the silhouette of the Grey Trader inside the tornado, inside the fire. It really, really paints it as a... I can only describe it as, like, in like, like just imagine, like, Terminator, or Terminator 2, when they just get away from the T-1000, and they're just driving away from the, the fire, and but it, the, the movie makes a point of reminding you, the T-1000's still in there. He's still okay. He's still going to be coming. Like, this isn't, like, a, a win. This is just a, a delay until he gets to you later. So as far as building this suspense of like they've just they've narrowly just got just got away and no more from this super 
dangerous threat that they have no idea how to like fight back against at the end of a thrilling set piece but just to remind you he's still coming like this was not a victory by any means they just got away uh and in terms of that this first two-thirds of the issue completely nails that it completely nails the excitement it completely nails the dread of this thing still coming after them all very good uh, which kind of just leaves the back third of the issue to kind of set up and calm down and establish kind of where we might be going next. Uh, they kind of, they take refuge uh, at some, basically vampires that have helped out Peril before with taking in some of the kids. Um, they live in a swamp in Arkansas, there's some alligators and stuff. Uh, and they're basically deciding what to do. Uh, next like there's only so many vm locations left uh there's one uh near cape canaveral uh th- where the space program is and skinner cracks a joke about vampires in space oh that sounds great yeah. uh but yeah the 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 build up here at the end of the issue is that peril goes to talk to skinner in another room and the art here is gorgeous It's it's got that kind of like you know because the rest of the issues have all been these bright oranges and reds and it's all been very hot Whereas here it's a lot more subdued. I wouldn't say it's cold necessarily. It's still slightly on the. Uh, I'll say it's more neutral because it doesn't look cold. I'll just say that, but it's like the the classic kind of art of the of like the shadow of someone as they open the door. So you've got like the, the beam of light on the floor, but then the shadow of the person, and the the shadow and lights are kind of hitting Skinner lying on his bed, but it's Pearl coming in and saying, "Hey." Now that we're things have calmed down, I want to talk to you and ask why you came back. I feel like you had a reason to come back. And Skinner, being Skinner, he can't just actually have a conversation about why he wants to talk to her or what he wanted to show her. He just sort of like says, hey, why don't you come in the bed and I'll show you. And she's like, fine, she's going to make sex jokes. I'm done. And she's like, good night. And she closes the door. And the final page reveals that he does have something he actually does want to show her. And he takes off his shirt and it's the bite marks for when the Grey Trader bit him on the shoulder. And there's like, you know, veins coming from them, like something spreading. Like maybe the Grey Trader's going to like convert him or he's turning into one of the Grey Trader's demons or something. But it feels like we're actually spelling, we're at the beginning of the end of Skinner's story that maybe this might lead to his demise. Mm-hmm. Which feels like a big deal. It feels like we are building up to some big climax of this entire saga because Skinner's been this linchpin for the entire thing since the very start of the story and this feels like it might be the start of the end and he does look concerned and it kind of feels like oh we maybe we do feel a little bit bad for him even though he is a prick even though he does all these bad things no i mean at what point what number issue is this that we sent with skinner you know it's yeah. been a lot of time so so it's definitely very a conflicted feelings kind of thing yeah uh, at the at the end uh, but yeah, there's also worry about whatever was happening down in hell that Skinner saw and whatnot. But this is mm-hmm. the big thing is that he got bit and the bite is, is not went away and it's showing signs of some kind of infection, probably evil from the Grey Trader or something like that. But uh, I think it's a really good cliffhanger for the issue, uh, especially since, you know, because the last issue ended with a big action cliffhanger and then this issue paid it off by having two thirds of the issue be the big action scene that it was promising and making it thrilling, and like I said, still doing this thing where it's like, no, the Grey Trader's still coming at the end. You just got lucky this time. The end of the issue goes for a quieter cliffhanger. This issue goes for, like, okay, we did all the bombastic stuff, so we're going to, like, calm it down, 
and we're going to do this more quiet thing, which makes sense thematically because this is something that Skinner is not telling anyone. He's keeping it a secret to himself. So he's doing this on his own. So the cliffhanger of this reveal should feel smaller because it is more personal for now, at least. So, you know, I think as, as far as the craft of comic book writing goes, I think it was really smartly done in this issue uh, and leaves me excited for whatever uh, the next issue is going to bring. So, uh, nine out of ten, honestly, for this issue. Uh, I think it's been it's been a strong series so far this second cycle, but I think this is uh, up there with the, the the best. Admittedly, it's only issue four, so it's like I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I can't remember which one I praised before if it was the last one or the one before, but it's been pretty strong overall. Mm-hmm. So uh, there you go. That's American Vampire second cycle issue four. Uh, and like I said, you know, that's a Patreon thing. Uh, it's an expensive tier, admittedly, but if there is something you specifically want to make me read uh, once a month, or just as a one-off thing, uh, you can do that over at patreon.com slash TV. But anyway, uh, that'll take us on to the final part of the show, which is picking our favourite stuff of the week, favourite panel slash moment, favourite cover, and of course, uh, favourite art and top five books. So, Matt, what is your panel slash moment of um, the week. I see Batman Offworld, seeing Punchbot show back up. That was a nice. Um, and then there wasn't too many in World's Finest. Uh, Beast World does have a ton as well. Um, do I go with something sentimental or something that made me go hell yeah? Um, actually, I think I'll do the 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 Dark Raven reveal where where. It's you know it's kind of the epilogue and at the end yeah at the end it's very dark and it's Raven going I'm in here very quietly and the only person that knows is Dark Raven um, that was pretty moody so I'll go with that one um yeah I think Beast World seems like the obvious place to go to to pick a moment uh, I do think I just to be because I really liked Waller revealing the Hall of Order. I think that's a good big moment. I, I think uh, the, the the moment I'm probably going to pick is the moment where Raven tells them all that they shouldn't be killing the spores because Gar's still kind of inside them and they all have this oh shit moment as they're holding dead spores in their hand. I think that's probably my pick. Although I was almost going to pick something from Offworld. I was almost going to pick yeah. the moment where Ione tries to like convince Batman to just yeah. sort of give up and go and like be with her and her realization that that was very futile <laughs> with his react. I think that sequence was really good. Yeah. Uh, and and off world, but I'll I'll go with the the oh no we shouldn't kill the spores moment and mm-hmm. and beast world. All right, cover of the week. I didn't really have a chance to look at them yet. Do you got you have one at the ready? Uh well no, there's a couple that I do want to talk about. Um, so while while you look, I'll I'll do that. Um, there's there's a couple. Uh, on Titans Beast World that I just want to spotlight because I want to know what they're doing with these covers right now. Um, there, there's this there's this trend of doing these kind of digitally, like heavily. They look like CG, and I don't know who's asking for these. Um, I don't want to kill the artists on them, but they're just not my thing. Uh, but there is a Mike Diodato cover that's got Garo on there. Um, trying to wait for it to load the video with the flash. It's it's proper horror movie stuff, um, so that looks good. But um, my pick is going to be one of the Trinity covers uh, that was an incentive, and mm. I'm going to go with the Doc Shaner 
it's got Trinity on the uh, she's sitting on like this column with her name on it. And there's a statue of Hippolyta behind her and Diana. Uh, and, you know, there are two. Those are the two statues. But she's sitting on there and there's like this sunset going on behind her. And so just the color gradient is working. She's sitting there kind of impishly with a smile on her face. Um, and it's just it's Doc Shaner doing what Doc Shaner does best. So. Uh, yeah, uh, that's fair. Um yeah, I think for me, the Jimenez one on Trinity is good. I think I'm probably going to go with uh, the Gerald Perel variant for World's Finest. Uh, as much as I wasn't mm-hmm. super into that issue, uh, I do like that cover. There's kind of a very mm-hmm. blotty like painting style. It's just Batman and Superman fighting, basically. Mm-hmm. But it just looks really good. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's my pick for, for, for this week. Uh, but obviously, it tends to be less choices on, a, on an annual heavy yep. week uh, for whatever reason but uh all right uh best art uh i had to move to beast world it even though it's uh reese and uh myers and then they, with they, a little pensica yeah, it's, it's pretty solid they blend well i think the mm-hmm. art's very good and i think that's my pick as well i yep. think it's there's just not enough of fornes in the yep. the world's finest to give it to that and there's not enough yep. sempier in the the Trinity especially gives to that. Doug Mankey's uh, art is very good, I will say. Yes. But I, I do think Beast World still wins. But yeah, for to me it just edges out off world because how much I like Lucas Meyer uh and how well his Titans designs fit in with uh Reese's stuff. So you know they're both kind of elevated house style, but they're both very, very, very elevated. Yeah. Uh all right, all right, top five bell. Or how many red, I suppose. <laughs> Are we ranking Trinity? Honestly, because no. We didn't. I, I don't think yeah. you can. I, I think there's just yeah. too little of it is actually gotcha. new material. I think you just have to go with everything else. Gotcha. So for, for me, number one is going to be uh, Titans Beast War. Two is going to be Offworld. And three is going to be World's Finest. Beast War? I don't remember reading Beast, Beast War. Beast, War. Beast World. <laughs> I am sorry. Uh, yeah, my number one is Beast World. My number two is Batman Offworld. My number three is batman and robin annual and number four is world's finest annual so yeah not an amazing week because you know it's a weird week five just the way it works sometimes uh but i will tell you now though what is coming next week from dc comics hopefully with brighter things ahead so we have batman 142 which is the aforementioned start of joker year one fart noise (laughs) everyone's waiting in anticipation uh we also have poison ivy uh, at 19 we got Shazam issue 8 we have Birds of Prey issue 6 Fire and Ice Welcome to Smallville issue 6 there's Red Hood The Hill issue 0 which I believe is a reprint of some stuff before issue 1 kicks off soon mm-hmm. uh, Suicide Squad Kill the Arkham Kill Arkham Asylum I was going to say Kill the Arkham Asylum Kill Arkham Asylum issue 1 we have Neil Before Zod issue 2 Superman 78 The Metal Curtain issue 4 we have DC's How to Lose a Guy Gardener in 10 Days, oh. issue one. That's the $10 Valentine's yeah. anthology book, uh, yeah. which, you know, we don't tend to do those $10 books anymore because they're a bit of a chore and tends to just be a lot of shorts that don't have much to really discuss. So I'm not going to even promise to even try and read that, but the no. title's funny. I'll give them the title. The title's very good. So Yeah. Uh, um, other than that, though, there's a couple of Scooby-Doo books. you got Batman Scooby-Doo Mysteries, yeah. issue two, 
and Scooby-Doo, where are you? One, two, six. So, yeah. Let's keep going strong. Kids are buying those Scooby-Doo books. Yeah. Very good. Always fun. So, so uh, just spoiler, I already know that my cover for next week is going to be an Ivy because there's some top-tier Ivy covers next week. Well, there's no need to spoil it, and it's fine. I'm, I'm just telling you guys, uh, they're, they're, if I could get them all physically, I would. That, that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm looking at them. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think there's that many great ones, but I mean, there's at least three. I'm sure. I'm sure you'll fight me. Uh, yeah. When the time comes. Three. All right, that's the show, everyone. It's been a weird week five. I always say that in week fives, but it's always mm-hmm. weird. Uh, so we'll be back to regular monthly stuff next week. Let us know what you thought of this week's books in the comments. Of course, you can support us by simply hitting the like button on YouTube or rating the podcast five stars on your podcast app of choice. And like I said, patreon.com slash TV is where you can financially support us and keep help keep the show going. But thank you very much for joining us. We do always appreciate it. Keep reading DC Comics and remember to never get lost in the Speed Force.